Welcome to Raw Rant, where honesty is the game plan and truth is the destination. We're hanging out with some of our rowdy, sweaty nerds today. Hopefully, we'll stimulate your brains and recharge your geeky souls. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Shane Montgomery. And with me, as always, rocking the boards is my brother, Brian Montgomery. Did you intentionally give yourself, like, low clapping? Yeah, is that, I like, myself, low energy I gave clapping? myself sarcastic clapping. <laughs> thanks, thanks. And joining us tonight on Raw Rant is a man who has stood by the by showrunner Terry Metalis, helping us to levels our Star Trek hearts never thought possible again. Picard Season 3 co-producer, Matt Akumura. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Really better clapping. Thank you. Better. That's <laughs> a lot louder than Brian's. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Also joining us directly from the Burnett Work, which offers only the highest IQ pop culture mental libations, the one and only Robert Meyer. Wow. Sometimes too many libations, to be honest. <laughs> Got to stop doing that. It's fun to watch you when you're libating. Oh, yeah, no. I gotta stop also that. joining us for the first time tonight, in his own words, a bald dude serving up caffeine fueled rant about film and television, geeking with Jane Bancock. <laughs> nice. I love that, that uh, description of you, James. It was perfect. Yeah, it's, uh, I've learned a long time ago to lean into the baldness instead of trying to disguise it. It's easier. It's easier. Just go Especially when we're discussing Picard. I mean, he is uh, the icon, the hero for all, you know, the elephant in the room. <laughs> oh, well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't get much better. I had that exact same conversation of, with my uh, own father Patrick about the Stewart, elephant right? in the room. So that scene was particularly <laughs> poignant for me. Uh, it was I really mean, well done. The timing of the editorial of that scene, because oh, yeah. they, they let it linger. It, they it, can we talk about the elephant in the room and I, there was like beat 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 to draw it out i thought that was you know another thing that picard season three is not getting credit for is the editorial absolutely your your editorial staff man they crush every episode crush uh, thank it. you yeah i mean those guys they're amazing led by you know drew who terry brought over from 12 monkeys yeah and drew is uh, he's a magician i mean the things he was able to do um the, the kind of rhythm and the pacing, just knowing when to cut to certain things, it just makes life easier for everybody. That was another thing. I mean, that scene, that particular, because that was a great joke, you know, and, and yeah. you could have easily, if a less talented editor cut that, they would have stepped on it. He exactly. would have said, he would have said, can we talk about the elephant in the room? And you would have cut to the reaction of Picard, huh? The hair. But instead, it's he drew it out to yes. allow you going. The audience is like, what is the elephant in the room? And when he says it, it crushed the joke. I was like, it was so good. The, the timing was perfect. And that you can't teach that. No, that's just instinct. That's just uh, you understand the way a joke works. Yes. And that was just a, it's, it's a little tiny thing. But, man, it was great. Loved it. All right. Before we get too much further into it, I want to quickly, before we jump into the panel with our amazing guests, I want to thank Extra Wallets for sponsoring today's show. Uh, there may not be any need for a wallet in the future of Star Trek, but it's a necessity for us in our daily lives. And oh boy, do we find the last wallet you'll ever need to own. We have discovered the most efficient smart wallet in the world, and it's made by Exter. They have revolutionized the wallet, and we will never go back to bifold. Super slim, sleek, and futuristic Exter wallets can fit in your front pocket and still hold up to 12 cards. Guys, i got to tell you, it's a fantastic wallet. If you get a chance to check it out and you're looking for one, please, uh, you get 25% off your order when you use code THEPOPCAST. The link will be in the description below. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm. And now, let's get to Picard Season 3. But before we dig into questions for Matt, uh, this is James's first time on the show. 
and everyone knows how the rest of us feel about Picard season three thus far. James, can you tell us a little bit about how you are enjoying the show? And just go ahead and forget that Matt is sitting here judging everything you're about to say. <laughs> just don't, don't worry about the fact that the guy right next to you was deeply involved in the creation of the show. Go ahead. The good news is I don't have to uh, beat on the bush. I'm absolutely thrilled with how the show is proceeding. And I can't remember the last time where I drifted away from a franchise and came back, not only coming back, but having my enthusiasm be kind of like doubled or tripled from where it was before, because now I'm revisiting episodes of Deep Space Nine about the Dominion War. I'm revisiting episodes from the next generation. So to have it be like a literal shot in the arm for my love and affection for this shared universe. Yeah, I guess I, I, I tip my hat to Matt and everybody on the writing staff and everybody in the cast and everybody directing and producing behind the scenes. It's definitely, uh, it's, it's a once in a lifetime thing where we see in, in the world of, I guess, fandom, we're so used to division and people calling each other names just to see everybody loving Star Trek again. It's going to make me cry even talking about it. So just thank you for what you've given us because it's been one hell of a ride. Wow. That was really great. That is incredibly kind. Thank you very much. And, and honestly, it, it, you know, it's kind of amazing what can happen when the captain of the ship has Trek, you know, down to his DNA. I mean, that's, that is it. That is everything. And uh, um, when you have such a great unifying vision like that, that is, you know, um, that knows Trek inside, inside and out, you know, down to the, the, the whistles and the door chimes and the sound of, of James Horner and, and uh, Jerry Goldsmith. And you can't go wrong, you know. Well said, Matt. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, by the way. You, Terry, and the team of You've given us such an unexpected dessert for this final season of Picard. Um, as co-producer, as writer, can you tell us a little bit about your role in the production and the process? In your own words, describe uh, what you all hope, hope to accomplish with this season. Sure. I mean, I'll, I'll kind of work my way backwards um, with that question. Uh, it really started with Terry going, look, they're going to let us do this. They're going to give us the dream season. We're going to get to do... Um, the the sort of reunion of this this legendary cast. Um, can I swear on this podcast? Yes, you can. Okay, let's not fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it and it was really from the from the from the onset from day one. Terry goes, I want to give the TNG cast the send off they never got. I want to give them the send off that. Uh, TOS got in Undiscovered Country and that feeling of one last adventure. And then on top of that, and the part that I think was really, you know, honestly, it was really brilliant, was to go, and how can we enrich this in a way that nobody expects? How can we take these characters and try to understand what's happened to them in the last 30 years, how their relationships have changed, what's surprising about seeing them again. And, but what, you know, while doing that, what also feels true and right to them. And that was it. I mean, that was our, our, our whole goal was, you know, don't drop the ball and try and really honor them um, as fans, you know, cause we're fans too. We love this stuff. I grew up on this. Um, and the last thing we wanted to do um, was, you know, tell a story that wasn't worthy of them. 
and everything they've been through for the last three decades. Um, yeah. So, and I honestly, my journey was kind of unique. Um, I interviewed with Terry and Michael Shavon in December of 2019. Um, and they were gearing up to start season two. And at the time they couldn't, they couldn't bring me aboard. They were full. The ship was full, but, and this amazes me to this day, to his credit, Terry remembered me. And nine months later, I get a call going, Hey, can you, can you start soon? Uh, and I came in towards the tail end of season two. Um, and then we rolled right into season three and we shared, you know, um, common interests such as the movies that we referenced, the quotes that we would, we would say to each other back and forth. Um, and, uh, I could always kind of understand where he was coming from and at least the tone that he, that he wanted, um, every step of the way. And that was an incredible part of this whole thing was like, we wanted, we knew there was a feeling we were trying to hit. And it's what very, was that? If you can go into a little bit, just what was the feeling? What was the tone? What was yeah. it? I, I know you wanted to honor the characters and 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 tell the story and give them a good send off, but yeah, what were you really shooting for as far as hitting that direction? Something fun, mm-hmm. you know, bringing back the fun, bringing back the adventure. Um, I specifically remember, especially for episode four, Terry came down and he was like, "Let's bring back the sense of wonder mm. that's been missing." You know, the, um, the, the sense that we all felt uh, watching Farpoint at the very end going, oh, my God, <laughs> this is something we've never seen before. Um, and let's bring back sort of the emotional, emotional richness um, between these characters. And that at the end of the day, um, they're family, you know, and families fight and they bicker and they don't always get along. But. Honestly, at, at the very sort of, uh, you know, when, when, when their backs are against the wall, they will always be there for each other. And we wanted to uh, feel that sense again. Awesome. So yeah. what was it like just coming in, you know, you, you get in the writer's room, you guys work together. You came in and a lot of the writers were already coming from 12 Monkeys with Terry. So yeah. you kind of came in at Picard uh, season two, right, is when you came in. Yes. So what was it like coming into a team that had already been working together and does that does that teamwork create uh, an interesting synergy based on other projects you've been on? Like what's the difference between this project and say other ones you've done? Uh, This was a lot more intimidating (laughs) (laughs) because number one, it's Star Trek. You know, I, this is, this is just one of the things that you pray and you hope you get to write and you, you realize, you know, you never think it's going to happen. Like, come on, you know, how many people want to write Trek and just never kind of get there. Um, And, I knew that um, at the time it was Chris Monfett and uh, Terry from 12 Monkeys and they had a shorthand Mm. and you had to pick up on that shorthand very quickly. (laughs) Um, And uh, thankfully both were so kind to take me under their wing and kind of, you know, it it was like learning biosmosis. The longer you were there, the more you absorbed and you picked up on the vocabulary and the feelings and, Again, because we sort of had the same references, it was like, it's like this moment, you know, in, in, in Undiscovered Country, or it's like this moment in Wrath of Khan, or even like this moment in Goodfellas, and you, you can kind of pull these things out, and you're like, okay, I know what that feels like, and then you understand the target that, that you're trying to hit. Um, but I was a fan of 12 Monkeys. That's, that's kind of the reason why I wanted to be here. It was um, 12 Monkeys is one of those rare shows that actually sticks the landing. Like, I can probably count 
on one hand, the number of shows that have ever done that. And that ending is just, if you haven't seen it, guys, go oh, and watch wonderful. it. It's so good. Um, and Plus so it's time travel, which is really hard to stick a landing to. Yeah, because you know, right? All the loops and the, the double backs and all those things, all, everything is paid off brilliantly. Um, so I was, I was keen to, to learn at the feet of these guys. I would recommend this. Ah, uh, you got one too. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's flexing everybody. It's, Robert uh, flexing. <laughs> no, Terry gave it to me, and it's the it's, what's that? It's, v, it's from Via Vision, and they only put this out in Australia. Yeah, and mm. uh, it's a great it's a great set, and I you know I had not watched the show. Mm. Uh, I watched it sporadically when it was on, but watching it all the way through, like I've binged the first three seasons, and I'm I'm watching season four now it's pretty astonishing how it all interconnects it's really well done yeah you guys are showing all your 12 monkey stuff up i i watched it on my phone so <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got a super chat from 200 watt studio the editing love the way you cut the scenes on a number example shaw give me five cut to beverly counting down to the next contraction Five, four, three. Same with where's seven, then Beverly seven, six, five. Yeah, I, I noticed that too. That was really cool. Thank you, 200 watt. Yeah, no, that was, it, it, that is one of the things like everything feels very professional on the show. Like it's, it's not like we're, we're not here to disparage other, other, you know, seasons of Trek. You know, we all know how we feel about, um, about the first couple seasons of Picard. It was not what we felt was the best effort, but, uh, there's, there's a sense of the way you guys time things, the way that, uh, there is no plot hole. I haven't seen any plot holes. Everything is very well thought out. Do you guys, when you're when you're putting together your, you know, hey, we want to take a piece of Crimson Tide here, this idea, and we want to do things. Do you take that and then say, okay, now let's look at canon. Let's look at the characters. What would they really do? You know, how much of that is 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 really put into it? Because I can I can feel the love that you guys spent doing that, even though you are taking us on maybe different adventures. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, everything was um, scrutinized 10 times over because, you know, it just meant so much to all of us, especially Terry. And, and you know, we would come up with a concept like Terry knew he wanted to do sort of this um, kind of Wrath of Khan, Crimson Tide, Hunt for October type two-parter. I mean, that was always in the plan. We was like, let's take Trek back to... Um, you know, the, the sort of submarine battles that we all loved. Um, let's hear that patter between, um, you know, the ensigns and the helm and, and you know, ISERs and um, aft thrusters firing, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so once you have that concept, you're like, okay, but what does that really mean? <laughs> what is that, you know, like, I see the visuals, I know what it should feel like, but let's talk about, you know, not just the practical goal of what they have to do, which is escape the nebula, right? But let's talk about the conflict between the characters inside the bridge. And if we're gunning for red tide, then who's arguing and why? And I think it came up very early. It was like, you know what they've never gotten to do? And it might've been Frakes who, who mentioned it in one of his meetings with Terry. It was like, Riker and Picard have never fundamentally disagreed on a level they do in this show. They've always, Riker, and, and some of that's the power dynamic, right? Because Riker is number one, he's got to, he, he will always acquiesce to a certain degree. But now you don't have that power dynamic anymore. So what happens? 
And then you throw on top of that, you know, when we were talking in the room, this idea of Riker having lost a child, and that's colored his perspective. And then on the opposite side, you have Picard, who is going to lose a child if they don't escape. And that colors his perspective. And now you've got what I think we all love, which is two sides of an argument. And from both point of views, they're right. Mm. Well and said. that is the best to me. I love it when you can argue both sides of something. Do you guys sit around in the writing room and like, okay, so I mean, you got to come up with something from the beginning. You got this basic, you know, uh, foundation. Okay, we've got all the TNG characters. We're going to come back and tell one last big story. You know, how do you start, you know, pulling off these things? Like, okay, we're going to have, you know, do you throw it against the wall and then you guys like mold it into something? Or how do you, yeah. you know, putting these things together? Honestly, you start blue skying. You know, it's the process that we call in the very beginning. Um, yeah, blue skying. Essentially, you everyone just throws everything against the wall. What do you want to see? Tell me what you want to see in this. And then you start finding kind of a structure there. You start finding character, you know, arcs within the episode. Um, and you start throwing out whatever doesn't feel right, whatever doesn't feel correct. And sometimes you'll go really far down the line. Like there were storylines that we broke all the way through and we just got to the end. It was like, this doesn't, something's not clicking. Mm. Okay, let's go back to the beginning and let's start again. Um, and I think it was, I forgot who told me this, but somebody was, was explaining, um, I know what it was. It was Lucasfilm. Uh, they explained Tony Gilroy in a way that I thought was just perfect uh, for Andor. It was that Tony is the immune system of the show. Mm. He lets in anything that will make it healthy and better. And he keeps out anything that will hurt it. And honestly, that's what Terry is for this. Terry mm -hmm. instinctively knew when we were on the right track and when we were getting off it, what felt right, what felt wrong. And you can see that evident because there's a million ways that that argument on the bridge could go, right? Right. There's like a thousand ways you could have had anybody arguing in that bridge. But what feels the most right are those two men one who's lost a son and one who's about to. Right. And I think it comes from, you know, Terry is a hardcore fan. You know, we've, we've spent a lot of time talking about people's reactions to Picard season three. And I think a lot of it has to do with, with how deeply you care about the characters. Like it's already a great Star Trek story, but if you have a deep affinity for the TNG characters, then seeing them so many years later in these, in these developed story arcs, you get this strong emotion. So while we're here, let me quickly take a poll on the panel and let's, uh, let's also do it here in the chat. All right, here's the question. How many of you either teared up or downright cried at the end of the exchange between Roe and Picard? Okay, I want to hear it in the chat. I want to hear it in the in the in the thing because I've already been the first to say it. I teared up big time at the end of that exchange between them. How about you, James? I did not physically tear up, but I was crying inside. Okay, okay, Robert. We know you bawled like a baby. I did. I mean, there, there. What, what's really interesting though is is also because Star Trek is so ingrained in me personally. The mm -hmm. first time I ever cried in anything in any form of entertainment was in Star Trek Two. And it was when Kirk delivers Spock's eulogy and he stumbles over his own word. Yeah. You know, he says, of all the souls I've encountered in my travels, his was the most. Because you'd never seen that happen. Mm -hmm. And here was somebody that I'd carried with me since I was a little kid and watching him break down and then feeling the death of, of that character. And, you know, watching the thing about and I've tried to explain this about Star Trek is growing up with Star Trek at different 
parts of my life. When I was a small child, there was TOS. Then there was the TOS movies as I moved into adolescence, my teen years and my young adult years. And when I was in college, Next Generation debuted. And I carried with those. I, I moved from where I grew up in Seattle. I moved to California to go to college at USC. So that and Next Generation was still on the air. You know, and when I when I had gotten out of college, Deep Space Nine started. So my early adulthood, my early twenties, um, uh, and so the the characters and the movies were still the Next Generation movies were still going on. So the thing about I always loved Ensign Rowe. You know, I always loved that character, and the conversation. What I thought again, it speaks to the writing of this show, this this season. The conversation they were having served. Uh, it served two things. You got to see Patrick Stewart and and uh, well Jean Luc Picard and Ro Laren have this in universe conversation that had been building for thirty years. But at the same time, the conversation that they were having was was convincing each each one of these characters that the other wasn't a changeling. And I thought that was a really that to me is deft writing, and I think you see that all the time and i i'm the conversation with picard like you just explained matt about how you have these two characters both dealing with the fact that one person has a son they just found out about the other has already lost a son but at the same time it harks back to that great the great situation in crimson tide where both denzel washington and gene hackman they're both they're both right yes you know and it's it's so great at the end when jason robards you know they're they have the commission delivers their findings at the end of crimson tide and 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 jason robard says you guys were both right and and because gene uh gene hackman's character was going by the book like i can't so what and yet in a way we're supposed to see because we're with denzel washington but then when you realize and then at the end of the movie the conversation they have about the Lipizzaner, it says oh Lipizzaner Stallions. Yeah, right. You know, the, it, it's mm-hmm. such a great, if you know that movie, I mean, look, the whole, all of Crimson Tide's a little silly. That's not exactly, but it's such a great movie. Yeah. And to use that, and Star Trek always looked back at other previously, Balance of Terror, you know, you go back to Run Silent, Run Deep, and the, they were always looking at other other pieces of that had come out and use them for inspiration. And that's one of the things that I think, you know, when I first met Terry, we talked a little bit about Hunt for Red October and and how, and I've often said that what you guys did so well, you created a Tom Clancy techno thriller. And the reason that Tom Clancy's books, you know, he would, I remember reading Red Storm Rising and the detail that he would oh, yeah. go into um, was insane. And that's kind of what you have done you know, with this, with this season. And I think if fans of that kind of storytelling are really responding. That is extremely high praise. And, and I, you know, thank you for that. Um, don't, and, I'm, don't thank me. I just recognize, <laughs> I, I thank you guys. That, um, but that Denzel, um, you know, Gene back and forth is, was the model from day one. Yeah. So that once we hit upon those two, it was like, okay, there it is. Um, and the thing you also picked up on, you know, so smartly between Rill and Picard is when we look back, we were trying to come up like, we're like, you know, who can he at the outset completely distrust and be absolutely motivated to do that? And then by the end of it, and you only have an hour, 
But he yeah. ended it completely trust. And there's not a lot of people that can do that in his life. No, and that was, again, a genius bit of writing. You know, um, and and that's – I also think there's a lot of fans out there who are watching the show that aren't necessarily as on board as we are that can't see the forest through the trees when they're looking at what you guys have accomplished from a writing perspective. And that's a, a perfect example. You just stated it. And that's why the show, to me, has been such a joy to watch. Also, shout out to Michelle Forbes for bringing the heat. I mean, I've been watching her and stuff oh, since, man. like, Swimming with Sharks. Oh, my God, yes. Her voice is so commanding, and I, I think she just um, she's a world-class actress. And, yeah, that episode was elevated dramatically due to her contributions and her instincts. She's scary, right? When she first yeah, comes in. Totally. Like, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. So cold. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering. Yeah, I, I was on the fence. I'm like, so she's a changeling, right? And then, and then the telegraph with the blood, I'm like, oh, maybe not. We got a super chat from it's Joseph Martin, twenty dollars. Thank you, Joseph. Hey, Matt, the writing on Picard season three has been incredible. As an inspiring writer, I'm curious to know if there are any books, resources on screenwriting that you recommend, or that are referenced in the writers' room? Question mark. Oh, that's a great question. Um, not really, to be honest. Uh, in terms of books, n- no. But what I will say is that probably my best screenwriting lessons has come from two places one um and this is great because it's free go online and find the scripts to your favorite episodes of tv and your favorite movies and read them all just devour them and i'm talking like don't go into the dozens go into the hundreds because you will find what works and what doesn't for you and you will understand rhythm you will understand um you know how to describe geography and action uh, you will know when to use a word and when not to. Um, and then the second thing, also free, um, record movie audio and just listen to it. Don't watch it. Just listen to it and and figure out the rhythm that, that you love and then try to diagnose why. That's that's honestly the way I learned. I did the, precisely that with the last five episodes of Picard yesterday while playing the Diablo 4 open beta. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to listen to Picard in the background while uh, trying out this game. And it was it's still riveting. Excellent. Wow. I, you know what? We held up the test. Nice. We got another Welcome super Matt chat. from the Salty Nerd podcast really yeah. quick here, Brian. Hey, uh, Matt, we have a quick question. You have to answer this poll before you're allowed to say one word. Did you cry at the end of the scene or tear up at the end of the scene with Ro Laren and Picard? No. <sighs> okay. He's the only one on the panel who did not. I just want to I say. didn't tear up either, but I yeah, felt but you emotional. You always say you don't tear up, so you don't. <laughs> I, just did, I didn't. I didn't tear up. I'm sorry. But I felt emotional. I, I never had much of a connection to Ensign Rowe. Um, so, like, for me, it was just kind of like, okay, well, we got the resolution of the storyline. I, I want to get back to Jack and all the crazy conspiracy stuff that's going on. Real quick, no, we got a super a... chat from about writing, too, from uh, just a dipshit from Hawaii, Ohio. Thank you. <laughs> He says, Shut I hope up. this season of Picard is the beginning of a course correction for all new Trek. The writing on this season has been fantastic. So I'm sorry. Let, let's have a question. More of a statement for Matt. The writing has been fantastic. Very kind. Thank you. Yeah, I was saying that um, Ro Laren, to me, I mean, she she was not one of my favorite characters. She was interesting, uh, but I didn't have any emotional connection to the character um, really through TNG. It would have been cool to see her go into DS9 and play the Kira character, which would have been neat to see. But for Michelle, that didn't work out. Um, and I do want you to tell that story, Robert, in a second about about Mich- about uh, Michelle because you knew her at one time. But um, f- you know, 
when she came out and did this whole thing with Picard, it was like there was a complete change in the character. I had, you know, there was a difference in her. She'd had life experience. She'd obviously been through things. And all of a sudden, I was completely connected to what she had to say. And all of a sudden, I now care about this character because of Picard season three more than I ever did on TNG. And that is something that you have to say, you know, for a series for when you're doing something 30 years later to make you like the character so much more in this one off season yeah. is such a, you know, shout out to you guys writing to your choices. What went into bringing back Rolaren specifically and uh, and, you know, what made you guys decide to bring that character back and and, and how did that process work out? You know, we <clears throat> excuse me, we went back when we look back at all the characters that that were at our disposal um, and we tossed around a few names and it was, you know, it, it became very clear that you could only kind of go to a few that emotionally meant something to Picard specifically. Um, you know, there was a plenty of guest stars and a cavalcade of people that came through, but really there was one that broke his heart and one that was unresolved for 30 years had we not brought her back. <laughs> and it was Terry who was like, look, if we're going to do, if we're going to do this, let's close off this thing that I, I, you know, meaning Terry as a fan always wanted to close off that I always wanted to see the resolution of and, and then that sort of led to this, okay, but what does that mean, right? And then when you combine that with this espionage story of who do you trust, who are imposters, who's real, you know, in, in every definition of the word, um, she was kind of the only choice. And very early on, it was like, no, it's, it's got to be Roe. It has to be Roe. Um, and every time we went, well, what if it was so-and-so? It was, nope, it's not as good. It's not as strong. Who was some of the, can you share some of the so-and-sos? I can't. <laughs> I can't because we're not done. So, yeah, I got uh, oh, that's, that's true. That's true. Good point. That is Matt, all I'll say. Yeah. Can I ask a quick question? Um, Go for yes, it. of course. So, the thing that did impress me about Rolaren appearing on the show is the fact that there were zero leaks that this was going to happen. So, like when 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 she shows up on screen, I'm like, is that? Is that Ensign Rowe? What's going on here? <laughs> uh, how did what what precautions did you guys take to keep that from like leaking out to the interwebs? Oh man, honestly, that one's above my pay grade. I know we had NDAs for everybody on set and everybody who was writing, and you know, obviously, um, Michelle herself would never say anything. But I think people just respected it. I can't believe it didn't. I was positive that it would <laughs> it was going to leak, um, and I'm to this day I'm stunned that that it hit as hard as it did and no one found out. Well, I know that JJ Abrams had like CIA level, like, you know, lockdowns during like into darkness and all this stuff and stuff still got out. Oh yeah. Uh, He's got the, well, uh, the, the red scripts and the Mylar scripts. Yeah. You can't photocopy. Yeah. And everyone, everyone was like, it's con, right? I heard it was con. He's like, no, 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 not con. It's not con. <laughs> it's not gone. It's not gone. It's not gone. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, it was con. <laughs> yeah. It was con. having seen the episodes pretty far in advance. I would, when I watched it, it was one of the great joys for me. There was no effing way that I was going to be responsible for ruining that surprise. Yeah, because it yeah. was so affecting, and you know, you okay. didn't, you didn't want to be responsible. You know, I because I, I really don't understand the fascination with our 
here's the thing about fandom. You know, we always want to have more information than the next guy. When I was a little kid, you'd go to a convention and everybody was out inf- informing one another. They're trying to show how much they know about. I know more. I know more about the lore of this of Frank Herbert's Dune series than you do. I mean, that's right. been a, and that has absolutely translated over to the social media world when everybody cannot wait yeah. to spoil things. And I've I've never understood. I mean, I understand the impulse. But why compromise a great story for other people? And, you know, for me, people sometimes joke that I spoil things, but that's after they're already out or something. But the why would you want to do that? I remind of uh, the Red Wedding in Game of Thrones where the readers knew the Red Wedding was coming, but they just sat on it and they watched the whole world melt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was great. It was yeah. so glorious. <laughs> yeah. I remember that on Twitter. And yeah, so super chat from... Go ahead. Sorry, real quick, then you can read this. And to the credit of a lot of a lot of even insiders, because there were some insiders sending us stuff that uh, that uh, they did never told us about Michelle Forbes. That was the really one that they never told us about. We they told us about a lot of things that they shouldn't have. But, yeah, um, yeah. Originally, we had an insider that that we thought blew up the whole thing. Right. But he. Yeah. But then we saw the whole thing. And we're like, wow, he left out a couple really key things, and it was for our benefit. You know. Yeah, he's like, you don't want to know that. So even even the people doing bad things were like <laughs> trying to keep that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're still trying to protect the good stuff. I've got some shit Billy Armfield. Who would win in a fight, James or Picard? Ultimate BBB. My money is on James. <laughs> if it's the Patrick Stewart from Excalibur, Leon de Grants, he would kick all of our asses. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yeah. He would, he would kick the viewers' asses by Absolutely. proxy. Right. Yeah, but full disclosure, Billy Armfield is my little brother, so uh, that's him just having a laugh at my expense. Oh, nice. Thank you, Billy. I figured it we was something that. like that. We got another super chat from Professor Spencer in Television Chill. That's cool. How come that season three looks well lit and just awesome on my iPhone, but on my PC and laptop it looks dim, blacks are being crushed, and the colors are desaturated? No SDR mastering, HDR mandatory? I don't know. That's well, the question. I don't, I don't know Apple shills. We're watching you, Apple shills. Look, man, it, uh, I th- I, it depends on the device, I suppose. I, I, like we said last week, my 15-year-old plasma plasma TV looks fantastic. So Yeah, I, I, there's a handshake issue. Um, yeah. And it happens It happens a lot. And um, because if uh, I have a plasma as well, I have the, the last 65-inch plasma Panasonic made with their Kuro, their black technology. Oh, my God. I have the same one. That's the I got it in 2013. That was the last one that they made. Bro. That that TV to this day is one of the greatest screens ever. Well, anyone it sounds amazing too. It's yeah, crazy. anyone's uh, has ever made. And then the other room, I have a, a 2022 LG 65 inch OLED set, and I spent hours tweaking them with professional grade calibration equipment. The plasma Star Trek Picard season three looks amazing it does the detail the cinematography is absolutely incredible watching it on my oled you can't see anything when and the space babies came out on that sucker dude uh, it was, it was yeah. and the thing is there is like when you're watching if you because as a home theater aficionado and somebody that produces special features and things like this this has always been a problem with with the how how things are formatted with hdr how the how paramount plus talks to tvs like HBO really has their shit together. Mm-hmm. So if you want to watch something in Dolby Vision, 
it's in Dolby Vision. It's uh, and all my equipment, like my Atmos system, kicks in. I don't have to do anything. It's all set up. Disney Plus does a great job too. Paramount Plus, that app has always sucked from the beginning. Peacock has problems too. Well, and even I Hulu has problems. Well, I yeah, I, yeah. I don't, I don't watch as much stuff on those. So, well, and Paramount had to roll out some some pushes, like some changes with some of the formatting, right? During yeah, some and of Terry the- was saying they had to go back and and fixing. And I have to tell you. There is an institutional problem across many of the broadcast platforms where the people that are working don't know what they're doing. And I'll, and I'll flat out say that because we're having issues with QC, just QC issues, people setting up bars, bars and tones and time code properly. The difference between frame rates and things like that. It's, and because all the, 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 the veterans, they all cost too much and they've all been retired. And so it's it's really hard, especially a lot of these TV shows, the nits, the level of, of um, brightness in terms of what the color timing uh, people are doing, they're they're crushing the blacks way too much, mm, and yeah. and they don't know, and it's it's happening a lot across the board, and it's really frustrating, and I think of all the shows. We already saw it in Game of Thrones, like the long night, you know, when no one could see anything that was happening. I mean, you go back and you watch the Blu-rays or the 4Ks, they all look beautiful. I can't wait. I really hope Paramount releases this in 4K. I don't know if they will. It'll be an upgrade from the 2K. It was, I believe it was finished in 2K, but um, it'll look fantastic. Matt, if you ever get insight on that, okay, I will buy a steel box of Picard Season 3 in a heartbeat. Wouldn't even oh, yeah. question. I would, too. <laughs> I've also Absolutely. been told if you have a smart TV, uh, if you take it off of normal and put it on, I can't remember what the, what the next one is, but filter through a couple of those and you see it a little better. Look, you can go back. Terry's you know, created a lot of shows. You can see that you know the lighting's always done well. Whatever's yeah. happening here that's causing people to have issues, we don't know whether it's certain people's sets. I haven't had a problem. I was trying to explain in our show on Thursday. You know, I, I honestly asked everybody, I'm like, I don't understand what the issue is because I haven't. And perhaps it's because I'm lost in the story and I'm lost in the characters and and details are not that important to me as as, as important, at least as the story and the characters are. So maybe I don't notice it. But um, but it's been pretty half and half on on how people feel about it. But I don't know. What do you what do you think, James? How have you felt about the. What what it's like? I, I don't know if I've found like the perfect, I guess, uh, format by accident or by design, but I've had zero complaints with the look of the show. And honestly, some of the effect shots I think are some of the best effect shots in the history of Star Trek. Like watching mm. the uh, the intrepid rising up when it's like injured and about to face off with the Titan. I was like, oh, this is just awe inspiring stuff to behold. But I, I, I did. I wanted. I would, ordinarily, I would dive in with a uh, super chat, but I just I got to steal a quick turn with a quick question for Matt. I would love it if you could give us a brief look under the hood when it comes to once Terry Metalis knows where the season's going and he's done his kind of white blood cell thing of keeping things out that he doesn't want in. When you as a writer are handed the reins of an episode like episode eight, and I've, I've not seen what's coming, so I'm, I'm totally oblivious. Just Can you just walk us through the process of your own contributions versus kind of the guidelines by the show overall? Um, sure. I mean, most shows run very similarly in that, you know, you will attack an episode together as a group. Whoever isn't off writing an episode, everyone's still left in the writer's room, will work together. There are, um, there are no egos, you know, all ideas are welcomed. Um, and the kind of higher ups, the co-EPs, if Terry's not in the room, the co-EPs take it upon themselves to go, okay, 
you know, let's look at let's look at the, the story of the acts, as we say. What happens in Act One? Just generally, beginning and end. What happens in Act Two? Okay, where do we need to be at the end of Act Three? And then where do we need to be at the end of the, the series, the, the episode? And then, so it's sort of like a microscope. You look at it from thirty thousand feet, and you go, okay, so this, this, and this. All right, what does that mean? How many scenes will that take to accomplish? And then you break those general beats into very specific scenes and you write cards on the board and then you beat that out and then you know sometimes you'll break things by storyline like the card riker storyline you know um seven shaw storyline all the beats of that story and then you'll mix and match and sometimes it happens that way um and at the end of the day you you take a look at it and terry is is by this point heard it vetted it and changed some things around um and you vet it and you look at it and you go okay Let's run through the whole thing. Let's just, beginning to end, somebody tell the story of this episode. Um, and if it's your episode, you usually go up to the whiteboard and you go, okay, act one. And you just tell the story, start to end. And the whole running staff and Terry is sitting there and they're listening going, okay, stop. That's weird. Why don't we flip those two scenes? Or I don't know that that emotion is paying off. We need a moment here, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then you go off and you write an outline and then it's vetted again and again and again. And then you write the script and it's vetted again. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's kind of, um, people think it's like, oh, you just write start to end and there's a script. No, this thing has been through the ringer about 5 million times. <laughs> and, and really, even when you're sitting there on set, you're going, does that line feel weird to you? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, you know what? Cut that. Don't say those two words. Just leave it at that button. Um, and and then even in editing, when Terry is sitting with Drew and he's sitting there in the editing room and he's watching these sequences, cut that line, take that out. Can we move this there? Put that there. And it's made again. Like you know, it's written again in editing. And so um, anybody at any point can have an idea in there, and anybody at any point can can really um, create something. And that's kind of the beauty of a writer's room. And it's Terry at the end of the day that has that final say. That is the showrunner's job. Yeah, and it it shows that there's like a a respect, a respectful team effort here. You know, it really does to me. Um, From Yellow Flash 2, Lello, goddamn, Yellow Flash 2. How you doing, brother? $20. I've hated all the new Star Trek, and this this turnaround with Picard is the most improvement I've ever seen in a show yet. This feels like TNG's cast, Undiscovered Country. Great job. Yes, great comment. Thank you, Yellow Flash. We just followed you on Twitter, by the way, if you want to get in contact. We'll get you on a future show. Um, I got to tell much. you guys, uh, yeah, Matt, it, I mean, d- it does have that feel. Like these, when I started watching it, I was like, these feel like TOS movies to me. Mm. Is that, was that something you guys were going for? Yeah, that was the goal from the from the outset. It was, let's let's just do the, you know, we had a, we had a saying Whenever somebody pitched something great, Terry would go, that's in the movie. (laughs) Literally, that's in the movie. Um, Whenever somebody improvs something great, like Shaw's, you know, that that, the little knighthood thing he does, like that's Mm -hmm. in the movie. You just knew it on on set. You're sitting there going, yep, that's there. Um, That was impromptu, right? That was impromptu. It's not in the script. Uh, There were a lot of great things from from Cindy and Chris, um, but that's one that Stashwick was like, I'm just going to try something. Give that man a show. Exactly. Well, he comes from an improv background, which I think is is really uh, he's also very smart and uh, witty. And so it's 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 been great to see. I'm sure there's a lot of those little little things that sometimes 
you know, producers and showrunners don't necessarily like that when you go off page. But <laughs> clearly, as Terry had said earlier, that we're writing now for Captain Stashwick. So you guys knew what you were getting. And I think you probably sort of expected Stashwick to bring some of that that with him as part Absolutely. of his process. Absolutely. I mean, you know, who knows better to write for him than than the writers of, of 12 Monkeys who wrote Deacon? Um, and when you have writers like Terry and Sean and Chris who know how to write to Todd, it just gives Todd more ammo to then create and play on set and create those moments and be motivated by those moments. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, again, it is sort of this harmony in that where everyone's working in concert together. Well said. Kadish, you have a question for Matt? Yeah, so I'm a big fan of the 12 Monkeys TV show. I think it's one of the most brilliantly written shows probably ever. Only thing to ever get time travel right. Yeah. Ever, <laughs> yeah. And and the amount of, of planning that had to go into that show in order to get all the time travel right. Like, you have stuff that pays off, like, in season five that was set up in season one, you know? So, like, it's... Uh, the amount of forethought and planning that goes into that type of thing is just off the wall. So I was wondering yeah. if you could tell us a little bit about how Metallus uh, kind of like plotted out the the meta uh, narrative of the season to make sure that everything pays off the way it should. It's mm. a great question. Um, I will say that we always knew the ending without giving away anything. We always knew where we were going. And to me, that's always the key. You always have to know where you're going so that you can then weave in those setups along the way. And then, you know, the, the nice thing about having the staff on during production is that we are able to then go back. If there are things that we discover, you know, in episodes um, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, we can then go back to one and two and kind of weave these small things in there. Um, but I got to say, there weren't a lot of stuff that we had to retroactively, um, you know, weave in. It was a lot of it was just we knew where we we're going. We knew what what moments we wanted to hit from the outset. And, um, you know, the show this 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 season was built right from the ground up. Really well said. Thank you, Matt. Um, so I think we have a couple of super chats in there, Brian. Yes, thank you. Forbes. Can you jump on those? Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's Matthew Gladney for ten dollars. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate what we have that we have a lot of mysteries going on and that several are resolved from one episode to the next while others are still out there. Love the storytelling going on in season three. Also, Dork Knight uh, had a question. He texted me instead of putting it in the super chat. I'm not sure why he did that, Dork. But he, he wanted to know. <laughs> um, it's very odd. I'm That's just saying Danny it's very, very odd, Danny. Thanks, Danny. Um, he did want to know why uh, if you felt it 100% necessary to kill off Roll Aaron. And if there was a chance that maybe she didn't die. You know, we talked about it a lot. And, and, and when I say a lot, I mean a lot. Because we, we scrutinized this, this decision um, backwards and forwards. And I think at the end of the day, what was important for that episode was twofold. At least for me. And I can't speak for any other writers. This is, this is just me talking. Um, joining the McKee was it was in direct violation of Starfleet but it was the right thing to do according to her own personal code and I think it was vitally important for Picard to see that she, that part of her hadn't changed 
and that the same strength and the same code is what leads her to the decision she makes at the end of episode five. And had you not had that specific decision and those specific consequences, I'm not sure that Picard would have actually learned the lesson. When he says, I see you, mm-hmm. it's in that moment that he knows, oh my God, she's giving up everything for something she believes in. Not necessarily Starfleet, in my, again, in my opinion, but for this crew, mm-hmm. for these people who she cares about and for this cause that she believes in. He's, that he's, line he's, so powerful, you just gave me goosebumps just by quoting the line, <laughs> making me remember the scene. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And you know, I, I don't know. I, I think, I think he finally got it in that moment. You know, and I think, God, Robert, you would know this better than me, but I think it was Cisco at some point in DS Nine goes like, "Hey, you know, it's really easy for us Starfleet." who's got it really good sitting in this chair yeah. to say holier than thou and not the people in the DMZ who are fighting for their life and that right and wrong means something completely different for them. And that was Ro always, Ro always knew that. And, you know, I think you're absolutely right about that. And one of the things that's really interesting about how Star Trek became with Deep Space Nine became more sophisticated, a lot of people said, oh, it was moving away from Roddenberry's vision of utopia. But the thing is, the vision of utopia that we saw in the original Star Trek and in Next Generation wasn't necessarily threatened. Right. Whereas, whereas you know, the, the Dominion War, nobody wanted that war. And then the idea with the Cardassians and the Bajorans and the demilitarized zone and the Maquis, you had people that just wanted to hold on to their 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 families and their Absolutely. land. Absolutely, yes. And it, it had so many things that were analogous, even in uh, uh, a Next Generation when we first met Roe. You know, you, there was uh, there was allusions to the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, the the yep. Balkans conflict. I mean, all kinds of things, and that is something. What's interesting too is once there was no need. I mean, I'm sure at the end of the Dominion War, there was really no need for the Maquis anymore. I'm sure that yeah. these situations were dealt with and resolved. So that's what allowed some. And and here's if I can just say, like people were nitpicking about Roe Laren's Bajoran earring going, that looks more like Kira's. Remember, that wasn't her Bajoran earring. That was a piece of tech that she had had made. It wasn't like she took her old earring, and she probably didn't have that earring anymore. People lose, I I mean, women lose earrings all the time. No offense, but they do, you know. And it, it, it bothers me when clearly that earring was not a real Bajoran earring. It was as... Riker says in the episode, it's spycraft. It's old right. school spycraft. Yeah. So she had that made, and it probably looked more like Kira's earring than. And so when you're watching these kinds of episodes, you have to extrapolate. They might not have said exactly where this stuff comes from, but you as a viewer, astute viewers, have to extrapolate their own minds where, okay, I mean, you're talking 30 years. Why would she be wearing the same earring? You know, who's to say after everything she's been through, she's gone back to prison, she's come out of prison, she's in Starfleet Intelligence, and this thing that she has isn't even a real Bajoran earring. It just looks like one. What it is is where she's got all of her investigations stored away. You know, it's a data chip. And yeah, but it- Rob, I'm glad that we're able to actually, like, complain about the little nitpicky stuff because for a while, we can, the, the stuff was less of a complaint and more of, like, less observational complaints and more, like, 
really big complaints. And now we're like, well, what about uh, this? Well, that's that's <laughs> uh, that was yeah. The point I was going to make is like in Discovery when there's three or five or seven red beacons that appear throughout the galaxy all at one time. Well, anyone's like, that's not how light works. <laughs> Like you would never, if you're going around the whole galaxy, some light would take seventy five thousand light years to get here. Other light would, so there was no. When I watch something like that, I can't get past. I'm like, this is somebody. Light works. Yeah, this is somebody who 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 doesn't understand actual science. Well, these 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 beacons showed up all at the same time from throughout the galaxy. How do you, how did you see that? Like what in in what in what universe does that happen? And so when that becomes a plot point, somebody in the writers' room, which is where where Matt or Terry would go, you know, we can't have eight beacons show up all at one time and be able to register them. That that's not how it works. And so we have the Red Angel or whatever. And when stuff like that happens, that's when I get pissed. Well, I, I was actually wondering, and I, I asked uh, this the last stream we were on, Matt, maybe you can answer it. Why didn't the Titan just use their uh, repair drones to act as like fighter craft that could attack the Shrike? Oh, here we go. Before we answer that question. Because I mean, that, that was a tactic that was employed 100 yeah. years prior. Yeah. <laughs> uh, from No Money G, $10. Thank you, RMB and Brian Shane. You brought me back to Trek because I trusted your opinions for PS3. Matt and team, thank you too. Now this is Star Trek. I'm just going to read some of these um, uh, statements off before I get to the questions. Okay? Thanks, no money. Appreciate you. Thank Appreciate you, no it. money. Thank you. From Foxhound for Dar 99. Spoilers saved me from The Last of Us Part Two. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I, I had a lot. I had a lot of uh, uh, hope for that show. And it didn't work out for me. From Jeffrey Jackson for 1999. It is shocking how good Picard season three is, considering how bad the first season, two seasons were. It would be wrong to say that that it's because the TNG crew is back. It's the writing that is making season three so good. Thank you, Jeffrey. That is very true. Well said. I, you know, like I said, we, you know, we all know how we feel about the first couple seasons of Picard, and you know, a lot of the really good thing is is Terry's able to come in, and you, Matt, and your team is able to come in and kind of look at what happened the last two seasons and go, okay, how can we, you know, build and get better even in the third season, the final season. So it's kind of another way to continue to improve the process. And I think a big key is, is just, you've already said it uh, multiple times, like Terry just kind of being that uh, the guy who knew where the path was and cut this and do this and using his love for Trek as a backdrop. And that seems like, you know, probably how you guys were able to kind of stay focused and in, in the right direction. Right. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, I, I think some of it, look, I, um, Trek, I think, in my heart, Trek is for everybody, and everybody can like a different kind of Trek. And I am, you know, it's like Star Wars. Like, there are different kinds of stories. You've got Mandalorian, and you've got Andor, you know? Um, and I'm glad everyone's finding different things that they love. Um, but when we got into season three, we specifically knew we wanted this to be... Um, we wanted it to be a love letter to all things Trek that we grew up with. And we wanted to be able to then build upon that and create something new as well. Like Terry was, you know, again, the, the references that he gave, it was like, how do we take this back to the feeling that we had sitting in the theater when we saw Undiscovered Country for the first time? When we saw their their names being written across, you know, second star to the right. Um, how did we feel when we were sitting watching um, episode four, you know, right. uh, when we were seeing The Voyage Home in Wales? for the first time we wanted that sense that we wanted that back um and it came it's it's all the little details 
that that play into it. Um, does that answer your question? I hope yeah, so. <laughs> no, I think, no, excellently, because that is it. The emotion, the feeling that you get, I think you guys captured that. Like, that's what I love about Star Trek is feeling inspired and hopeful and, you know, falling in love with my characters. And I think you guys allowed us to do that again. Uh, before I get to uh, the, our, nit, our resident nitpicker, Matthew Kadish, um, I do want to add Sorry. my favorite nitpick of the week was from Armin Shimmerman, who played Quark on DS9, <laughs> and who, who, who came out when we get that beautiful shot of the Intrepid coming up, right? And of course, what does Armin say? He says, uh, I didn't think there was oxygen in space. I don't know if you guys saw that tweet. Yep. <laughs> Terry oh, so. answered it. He did, right? What did he say, Rob? Did you see it? I, he, 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 put, he, he added a picture of Deep Space Nine on fire. Yes, that was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we don't we don't know how the plasma they use in the future burns. That's right. Maybe it's oxygen. Uh, I, I mean, we don't we don't know. I mean, to me, that when people say stuff like that, yeah, we have combustion. But how does space plasma work? Right. I mean, it, there has to be some kind of uh, propellant taking place because that's how rockets work. Right. But, but but is that what a starship is powered by? you know impulse engines and a warp field which is a a warp bubble so it's not like the warp bubble you don't have exhaust coming out of the back of the warp nacelles yeah but what about the oxygen did armin ever complain about the sound being in space because that happens a lot in star trek (laughs) yeah (laughs) what about the oxygen that's on fire that's that's venting from the ship what if that's what you're saying? Oh, no. All right. We'll have to get a, a, a Star Trek scientist on. But Again, Matt, no, I'm uh, glad we're complaining about or we're talking about these things. No, it's really right? cool. I love it. Along those lines, Matt, do you actually have like physicists as kind of, I guess, unofficial consultants for the writing staff? Because I feel like in years past or generations past, it felt like there were a few more kind of people with, um, you know, lab coats on offering some contributions. Like, where does the fiction and storytelling and dramatic arts end and where does the science begin when it comes to collaboration honestly it's a balance you know there's just if you were to stick to to pure um you know this is what would happen um it gets storytelling gets very hard and i think in any um uh, medium you find that tries to stick to uh science concretely you'll find that there's a lot of pseudoscience here and there. However, that being said, we try to always, always vet everything through our, um, our literal astrophysicist on staff (laughs) or not on staff, but on call. And she is, um, her name is, uh, Aaron McDonald, Dr. Aaron McDonald. Um, and any science questions that we had, um, we called her, we emailed her, we texted her and we said, you know, how could X happen? if we wanted to, you know, how could Y happen? And things like, um, I'm trying to remember specifics off the top of my head, but it was like, is this a plausible thing that could happen? And she would shoot back yes or no. And depending on that, we would, we would alter things to be as close as possible to, um, you know, real physics. Um, cause that's important, honestly. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. That's incredibly important. And so, yeah, Dr. Aaron was, I, I talked to her, a lot. <laughs> yeah. I would I would I would have paid attention in college if I knew that was an actual job position. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Star Trek's science advisor, Mr. Kadish. What yeah. is your you have you have something you want to say? Yeah, so you know, everyone's focusing a lot on the Ro Laren Picard dynamic in this show. But to me, there were two real standout scenes, and they both had to do with Shaw, because everyone mm-hmm. knows I'm a Shaw simp. 
I sent for Shaw. <laughs> As are we uh, all. Yeah. So there's a great scene. So after Shaw gets his uh, gets his captainship back, um, Picard comes on the bridge and he's just you know kind of been informed about you know like everything that's going on and he, he's like we have to run away and of course shaw is like dude you just freaking stole my spaceship once before it's like I, you're not going to give me any context for like you know why you want to come in and take command again he's like security uh, come on yeah yeah he was like security <laughs> guy on the bridge. Like, he's like we literally just got through with you hijacking his ship and putting everyone in mortal danger and, right. and you just want to come in and tell him to, to do something without any context it's like right card you like like i would have liked to have seen like a little bit of okay i know i just like screwed the pooch on like this other thing but like listen to me now but the best scene in this show in this episode for me was when uh riker gets up and he's like shaw if you don't believe us at least believe your eyes yeah. So Shaw turns and he looks at the Intrepid and he sees their weapons powering up. And at that moment, he realizes, is like, I can't play by the book anymore. This yes. one thing that has been my cornerstone that has guided me throughout my entire career, I can no longer rely on it. I have to believe what I'm actually seeing. And I have to go rogue just like these people I resent and don't like. And in that moment where, where he, he's like, you know, um, um, LaForge, like, get ready to run and all that stuff. And he takes a seat and he's got these two legends on either side of him, but he's the guy in charge. I and feel like that color shot at an angle of all three of their heads. Yeah, side by yeah. Side. The, the profile. I, I, I feel like that was like such a, such a powerful moment that is just getting glossed over because of all the role Laren love in this thing. Like to me, Shaw is the most intriguing and interesting and fun character that I've seen in Star Trek in decades. Mm-hmm. And every time he gets a chance to shine, this show just like, freaking takes off in an entirely different direction for me and that moment where he decides i have to basically abandon the 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 starfleet manual and kind of become my own leader was the most important moment in this episode for me Mm, that's so great for you to to, i mean it's so gratifying to hear that because you never know if people are (laughs) are getting you know what you're kind of throwing out there and i i remember a specific conversation i think it was between Cindy Appel, Sean Tretta, and Terry. And uh, forgive me, writers, if I'm forgetting who specifically was in there, but I'm, I'm almost positive that the three of them were talking about this. And it was like, we need a clear marker where the skeptic turns into the true believer, where he goes, I cannot deny this anymore. And oh my God, am I now one of you guys? <laughs> and it was, and it was that, it, you know, and, and, and Statrick plays that moment so well because it's, it's both a reckoning on his part and you feel that emotionally, but he brings that wry, oh, God damn it, you know, tone to it that just makes it sing. And that's, yeah. Well, his complete irreverence for these two legendary characters, like when they're in that turbo lift and he's, he's like, oh, well, it's kind of the chicken and the egg scenario about saving the galaxy and putting it in, in danger in the first place, isn't it? Right. You know, like, we're like, he just starts listing off all the times they screwed up. And it, it's so rare to get that type of contrarian view from someone who's not a villain in yeah. the show, you know? And, and yeah. I just love the fact that like, he just like, like he looks at Picard. He's like, your poop don't stink. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> you know, he's like, he doesn't care that this is Picard. Like, like he's like, Hey, I'm a captain too. I know what you went through. Like I would have done it differently. Absolutely. So, uh, he, he's, he's my all time new favorite character. I really hope he gets a spinoff. Um, yeah. He's too. really wonderful. Yeah. Hey, we got no. some, uh, Michelle, uh, we got some Michelle uh, questions here, so I'm going to read them all at the same time here. 200 watts studio for $2. Uh, she, he asked, how did you approach Michelle coming back 
additionally, just to make sure the point gets through, he also did it again and says, <laughs> was Michelle easy to convince to come on board? And I don't know if this is uh, his alt account or not, but he uh, another person asked a very similar question, Craig B. Hey, team, is there a story about how you got Forbes to return to the franchise character? What what was the experience being able to go back to that story? So a lot of people want to know that. And Matt, I'm sure you're the guy to answer. Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, that's all Terry. That is the showrunner's responsibility. And, um, you know, he did the same for Michelle, what he did for every single legacy character. He jumped on Zoom and he literally pitched the entire season front to back. Mm. Then he went in and pitched their character arc front to back and then said, this is what you're going to get to do. This is how long I need you for. I mean, when I tell you this man was exhausted, I, I <laughs> that doesn't even cover it. And he did that with Michelle. And he when he said, okay, this is what we're going to do, right? And I'm like, yeah, this is, it's going to be row. He approached her, her reps. He jumped on Zoom with her. And he, you know, he pitched the whole thing, literally the whole thing, and said, this is why it's so important for you to come. This is why uh, fans need this closure. Um, and it's important to both, not just, Jean-Luc Picard as a character, but to Ro Laren as a character, mm. to get to explain the decision she made and tell her side of the story that, that the original series just kind of dropped mm. and never got back to, you know, due to circumstances. And now we have the means to do that. And you get to do that if you're willing. And, and he convinced her um, to, to come back. Wow, that's, that's awesome. great. That's such a great yeah. story, Robert. You have a you have a story about Michelle Forbes. Didn't you live near her or, so, or around her or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I lived across the street. So oh, wow. back in back in two thousand seven, up kind of by Lake Hollywood, underneath. There's kind of this secret area in Hollywood behind the one hundred and one where you go up into the hills and and uh, David and Kim Starzik. Um, David Starzik has been an actor on a million different TV shows, and she lived in the neighborhood. And she would come over and, you know, have dinner and drink wine or whatever. <laughs> you know, I would see her. And I, I always play cool with – because actors don't they, – they experience things very differently than we as fans do. They don't know. And and she and I did have some conversations about – one, about um, – I think she regretted not being in Deep Space Nine. Not mm. being – you know, the, the, that – and she – because she said to me the, the way I remember it is she said, I just didn't know. Like – you know, she was in lots of things. She was in Escape from L.A. You know, she was in yeah. she was in um, uh, the Brad Pitt Juliet Lewis movie with David Duchovny, um, mm. California. Yeah, you know that was it. Dominic Senna directed that, and so she's had a really interesting career. But I always think that she's been. I mean, hell, I was watching on New Amsterdam dropped on Netflix and. Elizabeth, my girlfriend's watching it. I'm like, oh my god, Michelle Forbes was on New Amsterdam as a recurring character. Yes, she was, but she's never become the household name. I mean, here she was starring opposite Brad Pitt, but she's had this really interesting career. And what I told her was, I had heard about her coming back in Razor because a friend of mine's a VFX artist and told me, you know, Admiral Kane's coming back. And I'm like, come on. And he was like, nope. There's this movie coming out. This this it's a TV movie. It's called Razor. And she's in it. And I told her that before she knew it. And she's like, no, my character died. And I'm like, we'll see. <laughs> you know, and, and then one day she was over. She's like, what, what else is going to happen in my career? You know, she jo joked about that. But 
she's I think she's a terrific actress, but she's never I mean, as far as I know, she's always been a she's a character actress. You know, she's always come in and done all these great these character turns. But like every actor, every actor wants to be a leading man, a leading lady, a leading person. You know, that's what they want to do. And I don't think and she's been in a lot of genre stuff too. Yeah, she has. I, I mean, and and the I don't even think that she understands. Like she she was great as Kane and Galactica. She was great, you know. But when these actors do these shows, they're not aware of conventions and fan love. And Stashwick is because he's a total nerd like us. But but <laughs> but most actors don't know or understand that, and and sometimes it freaks them out. You know, like the whole idea of Comic Con and people that will mm. look. William Shatner never got it for the longest time. He's like, I don't. I was in this show that like it barely stayed on the air. Then it went into syndication. Then he's going to conventions. I mean, Shatner's a. He went to Stratford. He's a classically trained Shakespearean actor, and then he falls into this ridiculous show in the '60s that that never held on in the ratings the way it was supposed to. It was going to get canceled after two seasons. And and so it's interesting when it comes to like and now now if you look at especially Deep Space Nine all the 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 casting of all the 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 guest casting the recurring roles I mean Deep Space Nine Frank Langella Louise Fletcher I mean my God and then and then people like Marco Lemo coming back after being a Cardassian in uh, uh, the Wounded in the fourth season of TNG they bring him back and make him Gold Dukat. You know, and a lot they brought back a lot of the same actors to play. But how many times did Jeffrey Combs come back? <laughs> I, I was surprised. Stashwick the one... was an Enterprise, wasn't he? Yes, yeah, he, he and he played a Romulan and a Vulcan in the same episode. <laughs> you know, and and so I think that it's it's um, you know, it's it's a really interesting thing. So for her, actors just want great parts, and if you can send them a script and tell them that they they matter, like if she were to just come on for you know, but you guys wrote her. I mean, this incredible scene with Patrick Stewart. What actor wouldn't want to do that? I mean, I'm sure her people were a big pain in the ass. Like, she's going to, she should get paid this amount, all that's. But I'm sure when she finally got there and could, I mean, you asked her to act, basically give a soliloquy to a Patrick Stewart. It was incredible. <laughs> I mean, it's. I mean, she knocked it out of the park. And I remember watching Take After Take and going, oh my God. Like, it's a gift. You know, it's total, yeah. you know, and you got that with Stashwick, but even, even Kirk Acevedo, yeah. um, who played, uh, Kryn, oh. he was fucking awesome. Like, he was, so I mean, good. a Vulcan crime Lord. We'd seen some yeah. shady Vulcans in like deep space nine and on Gambit yeah. and stuff like that in the seventh season. But he, what his thing, what, what does he say? Ergo, what is his line of dialogue is ergo. There's no reason why you can't apply Organized crime is logical. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was like, of course. I'm like, that is the greatest. <laughs> that is the greatest thing in the world. You know, utopia needs criminal elements. I it was. It, I know he wasn't on for very long, but that was awesome. Oh, and, so good. Yeah. And I'm just like, someone's gonna. There's gonna be a Crin IDW comic. I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if, you know, one of the great Star Trek novelists is gonna write a Crin book. You know, Brunt and Crin's early years living on the streets of Metalis. Scraping out a meager living. I mean, love that. I want to see that. <laughs> when you know, when Terry he walked in and he goes, "What if? The, what if that's a crime Vulcan?" And it was like immediate. All of us were like, "Oh my god, yes!" Um, and then we, I read that line in the first draft of the script, and I think I think it was Chris Derrick who who wrote that line. 
And it was like, Jesus, you just summarized everything that you need to know about this guy in one line. Well, you know, and a yeah. lot of people they cast, they've cast as Vulcans over the years don't look like Vulcans. Yes. And he looks like a Vulcan. Oh, he does. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I I thought he was, and his, his performance, his tonalities of his voice and the way he spoke, I'm so like, good. he must have been having a ball doing he this He really work. was. <laughs> there were a lot of 12 monkey references in that scene. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and again, a great character actor. Again, it speaks to Terry as a showrunner, you know, when you bring back, like, I love direct film directors that work with their company of players. Same. Like, Woody yeah. Allen did that a lot in his 70s movies and stuff. And, and, and when you have showrunners that bring back actors to play in different roles, and you know what you're going to get from them. And I think there's something about that because they, the showrunner already knows. And so plays to that, like Stashwick and Kirk. Is it, it's Kirk Acevedo. Yes, right? it is. Kirk, yeah. 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 Uh, and, and knowing that about him. And you give him the role, and I'm sure he was – he probably didn't have to hear it from his agent. I'm sure Terry just called him up and said, yo. Oh, sure. I'm sure he did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, gonna, you I'm know, sure he did. Just when oh, your agent was... calls, make the deal. <laughs> yeah, it's like just say yes. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm sure he, he was having a blast that it was cold, but everyone was like, oh, my God, this is amazing, you know. And I honestly, I was excited both for 12 Monkeys, but if you've ever seen um, Band of Brothers. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. He's so good in it. And I, so that's good. where I first saw him. And I was like, who is this guy with this crazy voice that just like mm -hmm. hits you like a hammer? Um, yeah. yeah, it was all he was. And that whole scene with Worf and Raffi and all that when him, I, I like that was great. Yeah. Yeah. That, no, right. that was a, a, a really fun thing to, to shoot. Um and when you're outside and you're surrounded by the, this incredible set, you're just like, Jesus, how am I here? Matt, would you go on certain days, like obviously you you, you were episode eight? Yes. So episode eight. Well, let me ask you a question. Um, yeah. The bridge crew, uh, the secondary bridge crew, yeah. I love. Oh, and I'm so I think, glad. I believe it's episode eight where you see more of them. <laughs> and and Maybe. and, and may, may, but but they they the casting I, I i mean i don't know if you can speak to this but casting those actors i really love them you know and i love the fact what's it like to make sure that you write enough for them in say these long protracted bridge scenes and is that something like you want to make sure that your directors like frakes will pick up those you know, make sure you get those insert shots because from an editorial standpoint, having that kind of stuff to go to can sometimes save your ass uh, yeah. when you, when you're trying to get continuity. So having those, uh, what's it like one to write those scenes and two to execute them? It was a dream come true for me, at least to write them. Um, and and it, you're always fighting yourself because we never had, you know, even though the show is enormous, and I know this is going to sound hard to believe, you guys know, um, but it, it's hard to believe you never have enough money to do everything you want. Or time. And you never have enough time. And so what are the first things you look to when your days are getting long, right? And the first AD comes to you and goes, look, we got to cut things. You don't cut from your leads. You cut from the secondary. And yet, you know, that's the great thing about Trek is that that, that banter, that patter, um, that cross talk, that's almost Altman-like talk, is something you can only find in Trek. You don't get it in Star Wars. You don't really get it in Marvel. You, you get that sort of nautical speak here. And so we would always have to fight 
to keep that in because directors would be like, I don't need to pick this up, right? And like, no, you really, please, please pick that up. <laughs> You're going to want it. Um, and it, it, no, it was incredibly important to us. It was great that. in episode four, you know, in the end. I yeah. mean, I thought how everyone really um, kicked in. You, you, everybody got to play their parts. And when you saw like Sydney and she's bantering back and forth as the, as the Titan was moving out, catching the wave. I mean, yeah. it was great how you guys got all that. And, uh, you know, I'm wondering, is that something Terry makes sure of? Like, is he... Absolutely. Uh, did you guys ever... Did you guys... So, for people that don't understand, when you're making a TV show, you're usually locked into a 12-hour day. You know, and, and that's all you... And if you go over 12 hours, you're into second meal, you're into penalties, uh, and it, it's incredibly expensive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that, it, that 12 hours includes a one-hour lunch. Yeah, and it, it, it includes a one-hour lunch. And so, you know, usually on a day, you get to set 6.30 and maybe you start at 7. And before you get your first shot off, depending on how elaborate the, the scenes are, the grip and electric crew, you have to light the set. You yep. might have left things from the night before and be ready to go, especially when, that's why working on a bottle show and working on standing sets is so crucially important. And it really allows you a little bit more time to get a little bit more elaborate as opposed to being on a location or being somewhere else. Yeah. And, and, um, is Terry there to make sure that you're, I never asked him this to pick up those, the shots with those actors to make sure you have them. Yeah. I mean, you know, the showrunner is pulled in a million different ways, but I will say, and I was on set for, for a chunk of it, you know, because the writers were cranking away on the later scripts. Um, and Terry, um, almost without fail, never missed morning rehearsal. And he, I would always get to ask my questions. And if he couldn't make it, Sean Tretta was there. And if Sean Tretta wasn't there, Chris Monfett was there, you know? Um, and, but for the most part, it was Terry. And I would go, okay, Terry, here's a couple questions. And he would say, he'd go to the directors or he would go to the actors and go, this is the meat of the scene. This is what I want. This is how it should feel. You know, and that's in addition to what we call the tone meeting where the showrunner goes through the entire episode page by page with the entire production crew and the director telling them exactly what he wants in every scene and how it should feel. You know, a lot of, I think a lot of showrunners concentrate on the technical aspects of it at that stage, but what I've seen Terry do differently and probably better than anyone I've ever seen is tone up an episode. Mm. This is what I want the scene to feel like guys. So whatever you need to do, because you know, he doesn't presume to know the DP's job. He, you know, he, he trusts them. That's why he hired them. But he goes, I want this to feel like Blade Runner. I want this to feel like um, Hunt for October and this paranoia and this sense, you know, chiaroscuro lighting and give me depth of field here. Like all those things go into, and this is, by the way, after a million production meetings. Yeah. Um, so yes, he is, in, in, you know, he is there to sort of wind the toy in the morning and then he goes, he goes, okay, um, you know, you have the con and you're watching every shot, um, chiming in when you need to. And he's also watching on what we call Q-Take, which is, um, a live stream and he's watching when he can while taking meetings at the same time. Yeah. And I would be getting texts going, Hey, can you, um, that light's swinging kind of fast looks like disco. Can you like, you know, like, like not the show discovery, but like a little disco, Can yeah, you yeah. slow it down a little bit and you're like, Roger that, you know, copy that. Um, so yes, I mean that, and you know, uh, and whenever there was a question on set, whenever I was like, I was, I wasn't sure, should I zig or should I zag jump on the phone 
and you go, hey, man, what do you want to do? Uh, does Jack have his holster here? Is the phaser in it? You know, <laughs> that, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, production, a lot of people don't understand, even when you're doing uh, a lot of a lot of times briefing room scenes or favorite scenes of Star Trek fans. Yeah. But those are tough because oh, so hard. you to get those in, you have to shoot everybody. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and, and those each time you move that camera, it's a different setup. And, you know, yeah. sometimes you'll keep it from a, maybe go from a two shot into a single or something. You can yeah. do that too, but you also want to have ed- edit points. So right. you can, you can go anywhere. And if you need to restructure something, the way those scenes are shot is crucial. Absolutely. And, and those can take a long time and it's the yeah. same actor and they're doing the same scene over and over again. And you can wind up in the weeds. That's why your first on a TV show, your first date, well, actually on a movie too, but your first AD, the first AD is really on in, in television, the most powerful person on the set. Absolutely. We had a fantastic one, Maria Mantis, who is one of the first, I mean, she is probably the best AD first ADs I've ever worked with. And she worked on the show. I've just came off of actually as well. And thank God they have her. Um, but she kept the set moving on, on her episodes and she would, because I think people don't realize like, okay, when you cut from, you know, a single on uh, Picard, we call it well, one shot on Picard and you're facing left to right. That's one lighting setup. Now, if I want to do the reverse on Riker, I got to move all the lights here and put them over here. And that takes 45 minutes. <laughs> or, I mean, if you're on it, or you shoot from person to person, and exactly. sometimes sometimes a person doesn't chime in until halfway into a scene. Right. And you have to decide, are you going to run the whole scene or just pick up those persons, that person's lines? And, yeah. and that's when you say the first AD in the morning as a director, you go, okay, look, here's the scene we're going to shoot. I want, you tell your first AD as a director, you'd say, I want to do this. Yeah. So the first AD and your DP are like, Okay, oh, yeah. how, how are we going to get that in the fastest amount of time? Exactly. And then they decide. You know, you hang back. You bring your actors out. You block the scene with the actors. Then they go away. Yes. And then you have your grip and electric department come in along with your DP and the first AD, and they figure out, okay, how are we going to do this? Exactly. You know, exactly. and, and it's, yeah. it's in a way, it is kind of science. It you is. Know, and, and you're fighting time, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and you might only get, 10 minutes to shoot something, but it takes oh, yeah, an hour. To, yeah. And, it'll take, and it's just, it's really hard. A lot of people don't understand that aspect. And, and with television, when you're, how many days were you shooting eight days? No, we Pic- were, we were shooting. So what we, we did what we call block shooting, which means we were shooting two episodes simultaneously. And so, you, you know, one, one shot can be from episode three and literally the next shot is from not shot, but the next scene is from episode four. And that's why and you so, had directors working on two episodes. Well, we only had one. Yeah. That's that why we had directors Frakes? on two. Exactly. Cause they were shooting, um, you know, they try to keep the first AD tries to keep things as sequential as they can, but sometimes it's just not possible. Wow. That's, that makes it exponentially more difficult, especially when you're dealing with acting and the tone of a scene exactly but it makes sense because that's that's you're on a it's a when you're in the same rooms wow you just you just got to save time that way because you don't have enough time to do everything you want traditionally um and a lot of shows are doing that these days but this was this i gotta say is exponentially harder when you're dealing with a mystery because you have to keep track of everything at every you got to know where the characters are coming from and where they're going before you, you know, before you even block the scene, 
because right. so many things, just, as you know, need to be fixed in blocking or notes given in blocking because you don't want to get down the road and go, oh, crap, we forgot they're coming from X and they should be sweaty and panicked. And we're playing it like, you know, everything's fine. <laughs> and that's why those cutaways to the bridge crew are always helpful. Yeah, exactly. So this is a great opportunity for us to give a plug. We've got to plug Terry Metalis here because, you know, what you guys have given us is amazing. But, you know, there's a lot of things that are said about, you know, Alex Kurtzman who runs Star Trek. But we got to say this. He, you know, he, he brought Terry Metalis in and he's given us this. Yes. And we have to be grateful the fact that that's happened. Now, that said, Alex, if you're watching or anybody at Paramount uh, Studios, we want... Uh, more Star Trek made by Terry Metalis and his excellent uh, team like Matt here and Chris, who we had on last week. Um, the fans are overwhelmingly loving the season. And we know by the end of it, they're absolutely going to love it. If you also well, if you as well want to support um, uh, future Terry Metalis Star Trek, we have a um, we have a, a thing over here. You can sign a petition, a petition. <laughs> and that's at TerryTrek.com. Go over there, sign the petition. And uh, we're going to keep putting this in front of the faces of people at uh, over at Paramount because, you know, you guys are ready. You guys want to do more Star Trek. Um, we've heard it from Terry. We've heard it from Chris. And, and I've heard you say it as well. Like, you guys are ready. Let's go. Right. You know, so Absolutely. we're just waiting we're, on, uh, on somebody. We got, some, we got a super chat from Alexander McCarthy. He says, Red Letter Media made a good point about Star Trek's uniqueness. The danger comes from outside and the crew has to work together to combat it. Will we see uh, we will we see Trek step away from this modern trend of internal drama? Question mark. Depends on who's telling the story, I guess. Yeah. Well, this is, there is an external threat here. Yes, I mean yeah, it is. This isn't an internal. Yeah. So thank you, Alexander, for that. But definitely, this isn't. This definitely isn't an internal drama. There are elements of internal drama. I mean, we've got the you know, the the strife that's happening to the characters between Riker and Picard and things like that. But the actual it's it's an it's a case of someone coming in against the Federation. I mean, if you look at Star Trek six, that was an actual internal. You had Klingons, Romulans and Federation officers conspiring to keep the the conflict between the three powers going. Yep. You know, so that was an internal. Whereas this, you know, the characters and when you think about it, we're, they it was they stumbled on something. I mean, Riker, Riker, and Picard literally stumbled into all this. They just thought they were going to help Beverly. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> they didn't exactly. know. This was sort of an accident, as, right, as yeah. happens to them a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we got a couple more statements here and a question from Danny. I want to see a Captain Shaw series after this. Everyone does. Everybody does. <laughs> okay. I think he has a comment about something like that. He wanted to say, right, Matt. Uh, well, actually, uh, I wanted to ask Matt uh, a question, and I don't want to come off as nitpicky, but this is just how my brain works when I'm oh, like, here watching, we go. <laughs> Hello, everybody, here we go. So, uh, Ro Laren comes on board, and she's been kind of the one spearheading this uh, investigation into the strange goings on of potential changelings. Like, she's tracked 12 incidents across Starfleet. Mm-hmm. She has suspicions that people in Starfleet have been compromised positions, and she's on the Intrepid. And she kind of suspects that, you know, the Intrepid is compromised too. And when she goes on the Titan, she's trying to determine whether or not Picard is compromised and, and, and this crew. And so she basically has the Titan crew transferring to the Intrepid while this investigation is going on. And at the end, when she, uh, you know, fly, 
sacrifices herself to, you know, kind of cripple the intrepid to give the Titan a chance to go. I'm sitting there and I'm like, so did she just um, put all the Titans crew in jeopardy, having transferred them on there, not just from, you know, destroying that engine, but leaving them with potential uh, changelings who are, are now like, you know, seeing them as a threat. Right. Why would she just keep the entire crew on the Titan? Because she knows that the Titan kind of worked out who was a changeling and who wasn't already. So I was just wondering if there was any thought given to that or oh, yeah. like, yeah, because yeah. like when I'm watching the episode, I, I'm like, I'm like, oh, did did they just screw over the Titan crew, especially with like, <laughs> yeah. with like the Titan just like running away and leaving them with the bad guys? Yeah, yeah, no. Somebody somebody asked that question, and I think it came down to somebody in the writers' room asked that question as we were breaking it, and um, I think the answer is kind of twofold. Um, it's it depends on on sort of like your point of view, like the sh that's why she aimed the shuttle, you know, where she did because she knew she would cripple it, but not endanger the lives of the people aboard and she also knows that you know that the changelings know that those people that crew don't know who they are yet and so there's a chance that maybe they could survive right? as opposed to just slamming into the ship and blowing them all up then you kind of just end their lives right away she didn't know she was gonna have a bomb on board either exactly that's right. the other that's thing that's true you know i mean and and i think that that um you, i don't want to say anything but but it's it's Remember, they said in Homefront and Paradise Lost in Deep Space Nine that there were only four changelings on Earth during the Dominion War, and they were able to cause all those problems. Mm -hmm. Just four. Well, and we also have to get down to the idea, and I know that this is some nitpicky stuff from people, but you know, you have to get down to the idea that the Titan's about to go on its own little adventure. And you, you really can't have a crew of 400 people on this adventure going on. And so it, it makes sense that there's people in trouble, right? So Picard and Riker possible mutiny how much is shaw involved in that so they don't know so maybe they're moving the crew because uh they don't know how much the leadership is going to be in trouble and so maybe they've taken control of the situation now we know they're trying to get jack obviously but um but so i felt like it was kind of uh it didn't it didn't take me out of it all it made sense actually to me yeah and, and they also and don't know where the terry keep watching because they also don't know where yeah. the shrike the shrike came from right yeah. You know they don't they don't know anything about the other are the people on the Shrike who are they, they don't know yet, right? So there's 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 a bigger picture happening too. Well, um, a good time to ask this question. We do have a super chat about changelings. Um, I'm sorry, I just lost it. My bad. Oh, here we go. I will also just a real quick interject. We're, go ahead. We are only um, five in, and I my hope is that. You know, I, I'd like to think that once the entire story plays out, that people will be able to come back and look back at things and really see them through um, uh, a, a different lens once they have all the, you know, all the information. I, I will say this, Matt, real quick. Yeah. Um, so I watch all the Star Trek series that come out. This is the first time I've actually gone back and rewatched episodes from a Star Trek season since you know you know since uh, og trek um so kudos oh, to you guys because like I'll, i'm actually going back i've rewatched all five episodes of card season three at least three times yeah oh, wow and i Thank you i so have much. not done that i have not done that since you know um since probably enterprise was on the air so you know kudos to you guys because like it's so nice to have a star trek show i can actually enjoy and go back and start spotting things and start theorizing and theory crafting and nerding out with other fellow star trek fans i yeah. love that and i love we've been know, missing that for years i love questions like that because it means you care 
right? It means you like sincerely care and you, you, you love it so much that you want to know the answers to these things. And that's really cool to me. And to anyone out there like who wants Terry to, to show run another one of these and to you know, get the band back together, what's going to really matter are numbers, right? Mm. That's what CBS looks at. They sure. need the numbers to justify the cost, to justify um, you know, the, the headaches and the heartaches of putting something like this, this together to them. Um, so, you know, watch it again, watch it after that, tell your friends, <laughs> tell your family, because at the, yeah, unfortunately we live in, you know, it's show business and the business side of it is, is very important. So we got super chat from Ryan West, <clears throat> Ryan West was the idea of having changelings invade the Federation meant to be a wink, wink to the audience explaining why this Federation Starfleet was so weird in the first two seasons. I don't think that. Um, <laughs> Sure. Well, let's say that. <laughs> head cannon. If that's head your head cannon, cannon, go with it. I that makes you feel Sheer effing hubris. <laughs> she was a changeling the whole time. We got a, a, a super chat from Echo Base Network. Thank you, guys. Can anyone get in touch with Lucasfilm and get them to hire Terry Metallis so he can save Star Wars next? <laughs> I know he's a big Star Wars fan, and Disney Star Wars is not a good place right now. We're not ready to let him go for the next few years. Sorry, guys. Uh, we're keeping Terry for a while, okay? <laughs> Star Wars can deal with its own problems. You had your chance, Star Wars. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, we also got a super chat from Dustin Cole. Nothing to add. Just enjoying the chat and wanted to chip in my part for a few bucks to keep up the good work. Y'all, P.S. Matt, I love your work. And so, oh, very kind of you. Thank you, Dustin. That, that means a lot. Thank you. Well, okay. So, did, James, you haven't got to say anything in a while. Do you have anything you wanted to ask? Uh, I have not seen the next five episodes, so I don't know who lives or dies. But, Matt, let's say Terry were to get the band back together, or let's say perhaps even you were running your own show, Star Trek Titan, at some point. Who's going to be on the crew without giving anything away? that we've kind of fallen in love with because as much as I love seeing the next generation crew, what's blown my mind this season is how many new characters I'm getting emotionally invested in. And I'll be totally on board watching future adventures. So Crash yeah. What, what, what's, your, what's your dream crew in the future? That's seasons? a loaded question, James. <laughs> okay, Matt, get, get ready to tip, tip, tip toe around this answer. Yeah. No, yeah. Dance no. across this laser beams. I actually won't have to, cause I, I can't actually, there's nothing I can say here that would be safe. Yeah. Because there's so much left to go. Gotcha. And um, my, <laughs> yeah, my advice, especially for this week, like watch sooner rather than later because there's some doozies, man, coming up. And, <laughs> and like, like uh, yeah, I can, knew can it was I, coming. I was freaking out <laughs> the first yeah. time I saw it. <laughs> can I ask real, real quick, what, in your opinion, does do the CBS brass need to see to do another Star Trek spinoff series? Like what would make, what would convince them? It's like that this would be a good idea. Um, and I, you know what? I venture to guess because I was, before I was a writer, I was an exec um, for many years. Um, and what they usually look for are two metrics. One are the numbers better than most of the shows in the same franchise. That's the big thing. You want to know that your numbers are rock solid and close to the top. Um, that way they can get subscribers, new subscribers, you know, especially now. Um, less so advertisers, but I think that may change. Two, they need to see those numbers grow from week to week. 
so you know it's 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 a little like the old model uh robert you'll remember right like um if a show lost an audience percentage of 50 percent or more between one week one and two you know they were pretty much dead in the water <laughs> yeah and we've seen <laughs> so, a lot of like the the numbers we just saw on last of us for instance hbo's last of us skyrocketed you know they're, yes. they're they're the last the episodes the numbers for episode nine were giant compared to it, it grew its audience steadily every exactly. week and and i think it's it all comes down to that it seems silly but that metric is all that that like you pointed out that the execs and the network looks at that and says oh this show worked and word of mouth brought in more audience and and that's all they can look at nowadays i mean there are the nielsen ratings i mean they literally can see it in real time now too yeah you know it's it's it used to be well we have to wait for the nielsen reports to come out but now it's it's like it's like youtube you can literally watch your real-time metrics uh and and they do the same thing and and you've got especially now across multiple platforms because you can have paramount plus i actually watch through amazon because I like it, I like, it's just a better, better stable, more stable way to watch the show. Um, and you know they're getting these. I don't know where else. I think does Picard season three only air on Paramount Plus? I think it might. Yeah, but I don't if you think it's part of the yeah, yeah. But it's, I think if you can, because you can get yeah. Paramount, you can get Paramount Plus through Amazon. Ooh. And yeah. that's so. But it, 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 they, they know. You know, they know yeah. how many people are are watching and then and then so that that's really the only way that you can convince people can i yeah, ask they, uh, like is, is licensing still like a big part of the decision making process that, at, at paramount because like if, if we all come in and say like we want uh the, the titan miniatures we want uh, shaw <laughs> captain shaw dolls it's like would they be like oh okay we can we can make a whole new license for this and and that would justify it you know uh, i can i have a uh, a captain shaw body pillow <laughs> Massive body uh, I'm texting Todd, with, right, with Todd's right now. face right at the top. We can have Todd come to your house. <laughs> I already asked him. He said no. Oh, no. There are there are plans afoot for certain. Um, I can't say what they are, but there are plans afoot for certain items. I mean, I'm a huge model kit builder. I'd love to see round two make a one three hundred and fifty scale. Oh, God, Constitution geez. three class oh, of uh, right. of ship, you know. Yeah, bring, I'd love to see pain. that. I and then you know, Master Replicas came back, and they're selling the Eagle Moss kits, and their website went live again yesterday. And I I wanted to get the XL Deep Space Nine, and I by the time I got there, I forgot oh, it. It, go- it was gone. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So so the Eagle Moss, all those. Uh, a lot of the X, I think all the XL things, like the Prometheus, they were because that ship I just showed you, this is one of their XL versions, and I, I love these. These things are chunky, so good. Diecast, they're awesome, and um, you know, hopefully they'll they'll the pieces for the Enterprise deal start up again because I'm a thousand dollars in that, <laughs> you know. But but I, but I think it, it comes down to like I think the Migos Star Trek figures are selling. And then you know you got the Playmobil Enterprise, and now the Playmobil Word of, Word of, uh, Bird of Prey. Yeah, so I, it, it's hard, but and the more noise you make, the better. Honestly, you know it has to be a roar um, for them to really for it to be worth it, and to, for them to think they can turn a profit. So um, you know, make as much noise as you can. We'd love to come back. Terry wants to get the band back together. I've heard some of his ideas. 
of which there are many and um you know it, it, they're pretty they're pretty awesome i can't i'm just like ah uh, i want to say more but i can't yeah well, we got um, a couple more super chats to fill it in uh yeah. from jeremy snyder he says no seven and nine inflatables no jeremy no <laughs> shame on you not Wait, even. You just said Captain Shaw inflatable. Come on. No, no, I said body pillow. It's a different thing. <laughs> oh god. It's a di it's totally different. In our right? minds, we all saw the same thing though. But that's yeah, fine. that was the purpose. Paul Martinez, Picard season four, question mark. We already answered that. We're hoping. Let's Ooh, get the word great, out. Paul. Card oh, nice. season three, according to Foxhound, thank you, thank you, Foxhound, is trending number one in oh, the UK awesome. on Amazon Prime. That is fantastic. Well, that's the news that they need to hear. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that is exactly the news right there. Yeah, also because, from Foxhound. Oh, go, I'm sorry, go ahead, Matt. It, it takes like I think the metric that they use. They look at the 24 hour overnights, and then they look at the one weeks. I think, and then they look. I think the big one is the one month. I think. Yeah, I see. You know what's interesting about this show, though, Matt, is that. So many people, now that we're five episodes in, they're staying up until midnight so they can watch the episode and not get it spoiled the next day on social media for yes. them. I, I, yeah. I know this is the bane of my existence. I have to wait until that clock strikes 12 so I can start walking. <laughs> so like, the, the surprises aren't spoiled for me. It's terrible. I hate yeah, it. It's 3 a.m. on the note. East Coast. Yeah. Everyone oh, yelling at us about putting row in the thumbnail. It's been like four days, guys. Watch the show, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, I'm... I once I noticed that people were starting to 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 stay up. I started staying on Twitter past midnight, and I'm a very very tired man on, on Thursday morning. <laughs> From Foxhound four nine nine, thank you Foxhound again. No word of a uh, lie. Season three has brought disillusioned hardcore Trek fans back to the franchise. Phenomenal work, Matt and team. Well, that's thank very you, kind. And I want to, you know, if I can. Um, shout out the other writers who mm. I learned so much from, you know, I'm what they call a mid-level writer. Um, I am kind of midway up that ladder. Um, and I learned so much from every single one of them. And, um, you know, my, my, we went through the war together cause this was such a hard show to make. Um, you know, Sean Tretta, who was just a mensch on set and taught me how to just watch a scene. And, and give notes to Chris Monfett, who is a idea machine. I've never seen anyone quicker with the big high concept ideas and the way he can um, turn a phrase and write, write poetry in scene. Like a lot of those scenes that you're like, wow, that was amazing wording. It's probably Chris. It's a lot of it's Chris um, well, in his episodes, you know? Um, and then Cindy Appel, um, who is so clever and would, would give us these zingers, like a lot of those war zingers in five, they're hers and they're so good awesome. like the they're just so good um and then jane mags who um puts heart into her uh into everything she writes and you'll see it coming up she does phenomenal work in her her solo episodes um and then chris derrick and kylie rossiter who were johnny on the spot and you know when you're going through the mud you want people who are like yes i'll do that give me more and they were those so um, I just wanted to take a little bit of time to that's awesome to, to thank all of them because they're yeah. all amazing human beings. And hopefully we can have them on the show at some point and ask them the question I'm about to ask you from Journey's yes. End. Matt, if you were personally given the keys to Trek, where would you like to see Star Trek go next? Just for fun, exclude a Captain Shaw series. Uh, I would take those keys and I would hand them to Terry and go, <laughs> let's go wherever you want to go. 
I think Honestly, that's, 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 that's what I would, I, I genuinely mean that. I would be like, let's figure this out. I mean, it can't be, uh, it cannot be um, a coincidence that you, Chris, everybody we've had on, every actor, every legacy actor that's been on the show, they constantly are always saying, Terry, Terry, Terry. They're yeah. thankful. They're grateful. I mean, listen, it's not a coincidence, guys. Like, I mean, if, if you hear something over and over again, there's there's truth there. So thank you, Matt, for yeah. saying that. No, of course. I know I sound like a broken record, but and I'll tell you this story really quick. Um, uh, sometimes what happens to writers, um, especially minority writers, is that you are made to repeat levels. You know, you mm. repeat your every job you take. You're supposed to like in the old days, if you were a story editor, you went to what's called executive story editor, you jump levels. That's not the case anymore. Some minority writers are made to repeat three or four times. You know, I'm thankful that I only had to repeat twice because CBS was like, well. You know, he came off leverage. It's kind of a lower budget show. We think he should be uh, the same level coming into our season. And I was like, really, guys? Mm. But they kind of have you over a barrel, and they know it, because who's not going to take the deal the right track? Right. Season three, Terry goes, I'm going to make this whole. I can't tell you more. Just trust me. If you trust me and you come with me on this journey, I will make you whole. And what he did is he bumped me up mid-season. And he made me the level that I was supposed to be from episodes six through 10. So my dream, I'm getting, I'm actually getting emotional. My dream of being in the fancy credits on Star Trek mm. is because Terry fulfilled his promise and he didn't have to do that guys. Like this is a rarity. Let me tell you, this is really, really rare. And he made me whole. And for that, among all the other things, I, I will always be grateful. That. Also. That that's a, a huge testament to, to him and and the kind of person he is in, in the business because as you know that doesn't happen a lot yes. and there's not a people there's not a lot of people that do that yeah but you know it becomes apparent just to get to know him even a little bit as I have no, I barely know him really but he's just he's an incredible guy yeah he is I got, he really is I got some hard questions for you and uh, feel free to say no comment if it's too hard to answer. From Corsair Raven for five bucks. Hi, y'all. Good job on Picard season three. I really hope, however, it doesn't stir Torbert Discovery's The Burn plot line. <laughs> That's less of a question, more of a statement, but. Hey, uh, then, you guys, don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's... another another question. Yeah, it doesn't. You're fine. Hey, Matt, uh, Star Trek Enterprise explained the Klingon look with a plausible story. If given the task of explaining the disco Klingon look. <laughs> Sorry about that. Oh, <laughs> what's going what on in your pants, Robert? I, I thought I was having a stroke right there. I was like, "This is the end for me." That was new, mommy Tallulah. She she figured out a way to open the door to the <laughs> observatory here and busted oh, her way in. Horrible. So yes, yeah, so I apologize. One, one more try. She's an Irish like dogs on the bridge. It's so cute. <laughs> uh, from Good Tea House, thank you. He says, "Hey Matt, Star Trek Enterprise explained the Klingon look with a plausible story." Explain, you know, referring to TOS to TNG, right? Um, if given the task of explaining the disco Klingon look, tying it to canon, could you and Picard season three writers pull it off? Question mark. Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think it would be, um, you know, I, I know some people like that look. That wasn't for me. Um, but I think we could find out Hold on one second. I got yeah, with those, um, with this, with this group of writers, we could find, you know, a reason. Um, I don't know. I think they're, you know, 
you can't you can never please everybody but i would hope we could spitball ideas and 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 come up with with solutions um my head canon is that they're from a hyper religious sect that broke go. off from the, <laughs> from the main uh you know uh genetic timeline like 60 years ago yeah and you know they keep their head shaved and like that it's over an evolutionary branch because they're so religious yeah, I think that would be the solution, honestly. Well, the first place my head goes is there's a there's a bit of time that passes, and and in that time is a solution, most likely. Yeah, but dramatically, you always need to be able to understand your actors and the words they're expressing. And imagine Worf if he was wearing so many prosthetics he couldn't pronounce his dialogue. Yeah, that was um. That was yeah. A, oh, that's, that's funny. I saw bloopers recently from TNG where he had a really hard time with the teeth. Mm. And um, oh, yeah. So every scene would start <laughs> off with him having to get used to the teeth again. And he would say the craziest stuff. Like he called like uh, the lift, like sugar lift. And someone was like, I'm sorry. He's like, I don't know what that is. I don't know. What it is. <laughs> and when Michael Dorn and I actually gets angry on set, it was like wharf, but like, like really wharf, you know, Picard was telling him, uh, was talking to the whole crew in the ready room. And he references Warp, but you can tell that Warp is like fiddling with his prosthetics, he's like, <laughs> like this. So he's not paying attention. He so goes, uncomfortable, so unhappy. Yeah, he's like, I'm talking to you, Commander Warp. He's like, oh, he's <laughs> I love great. Michael Dorn, man. He's so great. He remember, is, by uh, the way, remember... one of the funniest guys you will ever meet. Oh, yeah. His comedic timing is incredible. And he was, he was just, he was a consummate pro, and he cares so much about protecting Worf. And I, I love that about him. He was so just a delight. Sorry, Shane. No, no, I, it's, I, I love that you said that because people want to hear as much as they can about these guys. There's, there's so much we don't know. It was funny. We were, you, and Robert mentioned it earlier. He was talking about how some of these actors don't really realize, you know, how, uh, what they mean to the show, what they mean to the fans. We were, I was watching the shuttle podcast, which Shout out to uh, Connor Trenier and Dominic Keating. That's a great there. podcast, by it the way. Really it really is. Good. Such yeah, a great good. show. Uh, Dominic was talking, no, as uh, Connor Trenier was talking about how he didn't even like Star Trek. And all of a sudden, when they started doing this podcast, he had to do research on the characters. And he's found himself like now, finally, after all these years, falling in love with Star Trek. Like all iterations of it, like TNG and even his own show and stuff like wow, that. That's, that's awesome. And I just wonder, when you guys are working with the actors, um, it feels like these guys have an appreciation for where they've been and, and, and where they've come from. Um, do you get that sense that, uh, you know, they're close. I know they have to have things happen on camera. Do you get that sense from them that, that they appreciate, you know, how the fans feel about them? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, because they, they know their characters better, better than anyone, right? Even us. Um, they know them inside and out, and they know how that character would react because they've had 30 years to live in their, in their shoes. Um, and they are very protective about them. And they're, they were always sort of that, you know, that kind of early warning signal when they're like, hey, this, this word doesn't sound quite right. And you kind of look at it and you're like, oh my God, you're right. This doesn't, this doesn't quite sound correct. What do you want to change it to? It didn't happen often, but we appreciated it when they, you know, when they would, um, kind of nudge on something and you always want them to perform something that feels true to them because it's just a better performance. And so w Terry was never a word perfect guy. 
um, unless it really, really mattered. You know, like clue trail stuff, that kind of really matters because everything's got to connect and has been meticulously planned out. Um, but um, they were the stewards of their characters and, and we, we trusted them when they would speak up like that. Um, uh, and they were just a joy. <laughs> you know, they say, don't meet your heroes. Um, in this case, I was so once the once the sheen wears off and you're just kind of stuttering through your words and you can't quite speak, um, you learn that that they're all just incredible people. Um, you know, someone like Frakes, who I would not have made it through production without him. His set energy, his enthusiasm, his humor. Um, he would shout down from the top of the bridge whenever he had a question. He would just shout, "Hey, scribe!" and I would come running. <laughs> <laughs> and he knew, and I would start calling him the thespian. Uh, and, <laughs> the artist and, is working. Yeah, exactly. Um, but he was so kind, and he would share war stories about, you know, James Horner, um, not James Horner, sorry, Jared Goldsmith, you know, what it was like working with him on First Contact, and what it was like to work, you know, with uh, this scene and that scene, and what were the old days like. And, um, yeah, it was. it was just kind of a thrill and just to see how damn talented all of them really are. Mm. Can I piggyback off that? Uh, I loved seeing Jonathan Frakes, his transition to filmmaker from his character. Do you see any current cast members making that jump and whatever iterations of Star Trek might be coming our way, but which actors seem to be like chomping at the bit, craving the opportunity to be a filmmaker in the world of Star Trek? Huh? That's a good question. Not that I would want to rearrange the um, the team. I mean, you assembled an incredible dance yeah, no. group of uh, writers and directors, but it always is interesting seeing which actor, like Leonard Nimoy, obviously, did a very good job of making the jump. Yeah. Honestly, I think everyone was, was so focused and dialed in that um, I don't know that we had those conversations. I know that, you know, Ed Spilliers is thinking about other facets he might want to do, um, potentially writing, I don't know about directing. I don't know if I had that conversation with him. Um, but no, Frakes is really the only one, I, to my memory anyway, that was like, I love being on both sides of the camera. Um, and he may even love directing more. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, he, I watched an interview that actually Robert recommended where he was speaking at length about the joy and the excitement of shooting on the bridge. You know, a lot of directors yeah. feel a little at a loss as to how to stage those scenes properly. But he's like, no, that's that's where all the action takes place. That's where that's like the meat of the show. And it was just incredibly inspiring to hear him talking about his approach to directing. Well, he, you know, oh, yeah. Rick Berman put him through hell, made, <laughs> made him go to like Paramount University because he had gone and, and expressed that he wanted to direct. And Berman said, he tells this story in the documentaries we made for the TNG Blu-rays, but how he had to do everything. He had to go to editorial sessions. He had to go to writer's room meetings and it took a year before Berman basically said okay and because he thought Berman thought he would go away and it was Frakes will tell you it was his wife Jeannie Francis Laura of Luke and Laura fame um, yeah. on General Hospital that it was her she told him no 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 he thinks you're gonna quit just stick with it and you'll end up directing oh wow and um, he that's how he got his first his first his first um, episode was that he directed was the offspring the episode with lol in the third season that. yeah and he just he didn't know what script he was gonna get and that was the first episode that he was able to um, to do 
Rob, can I ask you a question real quick? Sorry, go ahead, Matt. Yeah, yeah, no, of course. No, no, please, please. (laughs) Um, Do you think that because we don't have that type of um, mentorship program anymore where you have to go through Paramount University and learn the ropes of... I mean, they called it that. There wasn't a real Paramount. No, 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 I I, I used to work at Paramount. I I know that you were were kind of like just generalizing it. But I I mean, like, like there used to be like a system in which people would come up and learn the craft and then be put into positions of, of importance. And it seems like nowadays it's just like people are being put in positions of importance that just don't know what they're doing. And that's why we're getting such substandard fare consistently. Um, do you think that we need to kind of go back to that, that, uh, you know, uh, earn your, you Oh, know, I look your ropes type thing. I, look, I started out as a PA and, and I think that one of the most valuable things that I ever did was start out as a PA. You know, I worked in the art department on low budget horror films for New Line. And and it was in because you're on we were on set. You know, we, we started really at the beginning because we were the art department. So we were building the sets and then we were there every day. And it was it was an incredible experience to see what goes on. Nowadays, you know, everybody wants to start out as a producer. And and the thing is, we were talking earlier in this podcast about how a day is made on television. Now, if you can get a job as a PA on on a TV show and work your way up, um, and if you're good at what you do and you're you're pleasant to work with, there's it, you're, you get an invaluable education. And I think you know a lot of people now they'll make like one independent movie and then suddenly they're directing a two hundred million dollar studio picture. Yeah, and I think Marvel. I think yeah. that's I, well, I think that's incredibly. <clears throat> That's incredibly problematic for for the industry as a whole because, you know, the you, the writers you were talking about it, Matt. I mean, people writers work their way up to the they 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 start out as writers uh, writers assistants. Yes. I mean, I know so many uh, TV writers that began as writers assistants. Like uh, Derek Hughes was an assistant. Oh, yeah. You know, Derek. I mean, Derek and Ben wrote a comic book that I self published fifteen years ago or almost twenty years ago now and. They, Derek started, I want to say he started working as a writer's assistant on Andromeda. And then, you know, he works his way up. Now he's an EP, you know, but the, you put in the time that you're looking at almost 20 years. Ben and Derek and Ben, Ben Rabb was a writer who, for DC. He was writing comic books before that. And especially for TV writers, you, you come up and you learn how a show is made. And then being in a writer's room is a, is a skill unto itself. And then being able to literally, how do you get in a room with people and collaborate effectively? Mm-hmm. Like Matt was saying, that is an art form because there's a lot of people there. And when you're, when you're dealing with people that are really smart and you got to hold your own, you got to be personable, you got to be nice, you have to be able to convey ideas and listen to other people's ideas. It's a skill, man. And the people that survive it, and I, I, to answer your question, yes. I think it's the entertainment business now and there's more money at stake than ever before. And and yet people, I think, know, although TV writers, in my experience, they know a lot more than a lot of people because it's taken, you've been on a path, you were an executive and then you were a writer and, you know, you've, you've worked your way up, you've seen it all. And, yeah. you know, Terry began as a production associate on, uh, he's got a credit on, on Broken Bow, the pilot for Enterprise back, with, that was 22 years ago. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and working for Brandon and before that he was on Deep Space Nine. In the post-production department. And Voyager, yep. yeah. <clears throat> you know, and yeah, and, and, Vo- and Voyager with Branham. Yeah, it's one of the last, I think, trade crafts where you, to do it, you really need to be around it. You know, it's hard to yeah. 
I would say it's impossible to learn true TV writing, producing without being in the room. Um, and yeah, I listen, I started out with, oh man, I was an intern in 1999, I want to say. And then I was an intern again in 2000 and then, you know, was an assistant. Um, and then I got promoted to executive. But when I wanted to write, I realized I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Mm-hmm. So I busted myself back down to writer's assistant after 12 plus years. Wow, um, that's it ballsy. Was, it, it was the scariest thing I'd ever done in, uh, in my life. And I credit my wife for telling me, look, in 10 years, are you going to regret that you failed? Or are you going to regret you never tried? Hmm. And I was like, ah, God damn it. <laughs> You're right again. Um, and, you know, and I, I'm so thankful that I did that because I think I would have flamed out had I not been a writer's assistant for a couple of years because I wouldn't have known room dynamics and I wouldn't have right. known the format of a writer's room. And you can see it. I mean, the the shows that we have today, like like I've never I've only worked on a small TV shows as a director and the editor of my episodes, uh, but the writers room to me, I mean, I've have I have so many friends that tell me these stories of all different kinds of, and writers rooms can be a hellish place, yeah. you know, for <laughs> but when you have a, a writers room that really works and you you I think you see it in the finished product, and you the stories that you were telling just now, I mean, it all comes down to the what kind of a showrunner and and what kind of a person is that showrunner, yes, exactly. and and relying on a team you know a great writing staff is an invaluable team of people that you you, it's like having the avengers you know a great writing staff is (laughs) is having a group a group dynamic that that works yeah you know and and um and you you want different kinds of people that can synergistically work together yeah and different skills right not everyone's gonna if you all have the same skill well i don't know it's like using the same tool to build a building like you just right. you don't you know like you need more than a welder <laughs> right yeah right. you need more um, than a hammer you need more right. than a hammer exactly and you are a quiver of arrows and every arrow does something different you know you are hawkeye's arrows and hey man uh, i got a super chat from yeah. sangeetha sivenden and I'm, i really hope that i said your name correctly sangeetha thank you for the super chat hey matt who's your favorite picard season three character and fave all-time character thanks for the great work to the whole team, the L cars porn at the end credits, though. Chef's kiss. <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. Um, oh boy, you're gonna make me choose. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, I love them all. <laughs> all right, you, you, you think about that. And I'm gonna read some more super chats, okay? Um, Let me see. We got a super chat from George Peter Gattis. Card season three is as great as STM six and ST continues Sulu episodes. You know, I never got into Star Trek Continues, but I'm, I heard good things. Um, also, from Son of John, love you guys. I just wanted to say that I hope Enterprise F is in the Picard Season 3 and not just a tease. Live long and prosper. Hmm. We'll we see. see what we say. I, I, can't, I can't say anything about that. <laughs> Mr. Burns, for $5, Rose Sacrifice raises the stakes for the season, and as a fellow Shaw simp, <laughs> looking out, Hashtag Shawshimps. <laughs> I hope we get a Star Trek Titan spinoff so long as TM is the showrunner. I hear that, Mr. Burns. Amen. Honestly, I think I think it's a tie between – it is a true tie this season. Here we go. Between Seven and Shaw. Between me. Seven and Shaw. Yeah. Well, I mean, So I would have to make this that is... decision based on which one has a body pillow. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> they could be the Kirk and Spock of a new show, given them enough, uh, given enough time to continue working together. So yeah. yeah. So Sangeeta, that was the answer. He said it's a toss-up between Seven and Shaw. Okay. And who's your favorite all time? So now I'm throwing Riker in that mix too. See, I I'm gonna keep going. Like I, I'm just gonna list everybody. <laughs> you just like them all. Okay. I just yeah. like them all. I think my my all time favorite, like, and it's only because I grew up with them. Um, it'd probably be Kirk, Spock, and Bones. Yeah, that's the, that's the, the only right answer. Just so you know, you got it. You got it. That's the right answer. You got it. That's always the right answer. Even if you didn't grow, if you if you were born, you know, eighteen years ago, and someone yeah. asked that question, that would still be the right answer. However, I will say, oh, quarter step down mm. is um, Seven's arc when you get to like Scorpion and stuff. Yeah, and you see the humanization of a person, and she is so damn yeah. good. She's no right to be that good. <laughs> that's why I love. That's why I, whenever some someone says which were favorite series, I always go like, I mean, like they're all great, but if I gotta say which one do I rewatch the most, it's Voyager, and it's largely because of seasons four and five. That's pretty good. Yeah, and then below that, I mean, Cisco from when she gets to the Dominion War stuff, you're just like Jesus mm. Christ. So many characters on Deep Space Nine. Right. I mean, all the secondary characters like uh, Garrick. Yeah, Andy oh, Robinson. Garrick's great. And uh, then when you even have um, um Gal Gadot. The, yeah, the um why am I drawing a uh, Odo, a man of honor. Odo's great, but who well, works Odo. who works for Dakot? Why am I drawing a blank on his name? Oh, um, the, yeah. You know, <sighs> yes, sniveling. Um why can't yeah, I he, he, his name and, too. and he has a great he has a great kind of arc too where yeah. where he sort of sees sees the light. Yep. We got yep. a super chat from Mexican Iron Man. Rumor has it that a certain Mexican guy may have shed more than a few tears on the road scene because there is, ain't supposed to be crying with your sombrero on. And on that note, I would like to address the results of the poll. It's random oh, for yeah, at least yeah. an hour. We are at 57%. Yes. There you go. A little over 600 votes and 43%. No. So. Tomorrow. Like, that's uh, his name. Tomorrow. Yes to the tears. Yeah, twenty percent are lying. I just want to put it put it out. <laughs> you know you cry. No shame in it. Ain't, uh, another super chat from Two Hundred Watt Studio, East Coast, up at three a.m. every Thursday. Thanks. Ah, uh, thanks, man. Yeah, that's that's Appreciate awesome. That Keep going. Yeah, also I'm up sleep. every Wednesday night too because I have to edit a video. So mm. all night. <laughs> Well, so. <laughs> Star Trek should drop though at that choice, like HBO 9 p.m. time slot on a Wednesday or a Thursday. I just feel like if you want to get people talking online, that is the ideal time to drop a new show. I'm just throwing that. It, out it, there. it would be easier on on my Thursdays. That's yeah, sure. I wonder if it's like it's supposed to, because it comes out on Thursday. It just happens at midnight right, on Wednesday night. You know, yeah. um, I wonder if they, they even have the ability to like time it like that you know i mean I hbo know. owns sunday because of that slot and i feel like yeah star trek needs to take over their own night of the just week. take over from echo base is there any way terry could get cisco cut back into this world or his son jake i know fans would love to see them and other ds9 characters come back jake i, I mean think i'm sure. sure where there jake, is well, you know what i can't i don't these are one of those questions I can't touch because there's so much more coming. <laughs> yeah. No way Roger Avery's coming back. Though. Yeah, I don't think Cisco's coming back, boss. Um, but maybe but his son. 
a future season, like if you did a future, you know, series or something like that, I could you could definitely see more characters returning, especially after seeing how lovingly you guys have brought back these characters. I'm sure the actors are lining up. I mean, I don't even think Avery's on the planet anymore, is he? (laughs) (laughs) He disappeared. (laughs) He took off into a dimension. Him and Elon Musk are on Mars tweeting. I thought it was was funny. We had uh, back to the shuttle pod one more time. It's such a great show. You had uh, Dominic Keating saying, oh, my God, Terry Metalis is the one show running. Uh, Picard I saw that. I had no idea, right? And so I sent this. Yeah. I actually sent this to Terry last night because it's funny. He goes, "I wish I should have been nicer to him." <laughs> yeah, that? that's so great. That was so I'm like, great. Yeah, I bet you do, Dominic. Hilarious. Um, yeah, we'll go. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe Terry can finish Enterprise. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. All right, I, I'd be down. Andre Benson for five dollars. I'm just like Matt Kadich. I set my alarm for three a.m. my time to watch the new episode of Picard because I don't want. Uh, to wait later in the day to watch it and to get spoiled by all us evil YouTubers with thumbnails. <laughs> I'm just saying. Just on Twitter, if you you have to be careful. They did such a great job last week of not spoiling it. Huge shout out to all the Star Trek Twitter fans who kept it together and didn't spoil yes. anything for like you hours after right. midnight. I mean, that takes like the level of humanity, like good person humanity and to empathy. not do that. I was, I was proud. Uh, but yeah. I'll be honest, I scheduled a tweet. For like for like seven hours after the fact, I did. I did. That. I'm actually surprised wow. that like C- CBS and Paramount Plus haven't done anything. Like you know, you have this kerfuffle with WB spoiling the big reveal in Shazam in the commercials. I'm I'm like I'm surprised that that hasn't happened yet with with this show. Ter- Terry's fought some battles though. Yes, there oh God, there yeah. there there have been some things where they wanted to spoil stuff and and you know and that's another. It's a very funny thing in that. When you're in a promo department, you know, you're making a trip. Your job is to take footage you've, you've been given and you make a trailer or whatever. Well, they don't, they're not told a lot of the time the people making trailers haven't watched all 10 hours of the show. Yeah. And they're like, well, this is cool. Let's put this in there. And, and you're like, no, 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 no. They, they, they don't, they don't know. And so that's another thing Terry was luckily involved with was the, a lot of the time the showrunners don't get to oversee. Yeah. The the promos, you know, the the 30 second promos or what's released and and Terry's had to step in, you know, and make sure that things weren't weren't. And that's, you know, again, that's because he cares and people have listened to him, which is which is. And that's another thing, you know, as much as I have railed against Alex Kurtzman, I don't know the man. I actually quite enjoyed a little bit uh, his man who fell to earth. He made a sequel to Nicholas Rogue's movie, by the way, that's just recently it's coming out in a 4K steelbook from the UK, which I just saw was shipped to me today. So shout out to that. But um, so, you know, he did put him in charge and and has been and it is apparently not lost on Alex Kurtzman what Terry was able to do. But, you know, when you control a franchise, it all comes down to money. It ain't show friends. It's show business, man. That's right. Show business. Right. And, it's you know, that's, business. What, that's what that's what that's uh, what Bob Sugar said and uh, Jerry Maguire. <laughs> and yeah. Alex was, was like a you know he was like a um, when there were things that we wanted to do, he was very gracious about going. Yeah, let's let's go for it. Let's swing for the fences and and you know tearing Terry tearing Terry telling Terry. Excuse me. Well, that's a tongue twister. Telling yeah. Terry. Telling. Um, yeah go do that crazy thing let's try it you know so and for that we're, we're incredibly grateful yeah that's awesome that's super chat from dustin cole here's the biggest compliment i can give season three even if i have to pay five or ten bucks per episode or sit through ads to watch the show i would that's a yeah 
I'd buy it. I would I would buy it on Prime Prime. Yeah, there's some shows where I'm like, eh. They're like, you know, they're like like breaking like a uh, uh, Better Call Saul. I, I bought it on Prime. I, I wouldn't buy a lot of shows, but I would buy this. For sure. I'd pay to see each episode in the theater if I could. I know uh, oh, Robert got oh, to see oh, a few yeah. episodes at the was it the Chinese theater where you saw? Oh, it? dude, yeah, we, we saw dude. the first couple episodes. Episodes the one and two, and it looks great and sounds great. great. Dude, and when the was... Titan comes in and breaks up the two ships, dude. Ooh. Hey, you know, one never knows. One never knows. Ten hour Stay marathon. Tuned, kids. Anything could happen. IMAX theater. Maybe. You never oh know. My God, ten hour marathon. IMAX, sign me up, boys. Hell yeah. Um. Uh. But you never know. I mean, I, I, I certainly would like to. You know, because people, it's not a spoiler to say Terry directed the last two episodes. Yes, he did. He wrote. He he. I think he wrote and directed them both. He, but he, because he's co-written. I don't know if he wrote, if he has sole writing credit I on. He directed he has, it for sure. He wrote, yeah, he directed both because it was a block. He, yep. He wrote ten. Sean Tretta and Kylie Rossiter wrote wrote nine. nine. And okay. All the writers were involved uh, in breaking everything. Yeah, yeah, what the, yeah. What are the odds yeah. you could get the Paramount Theater to just marathon the entire season and? Oh my god! <laughs> oh god! Please. We got a super chat from Eddie from Outer Space. Greetings from Germany. Hello. Wow. I love Picard season three, and I have to wait until Friday to be able to watch it. Mm. It's a whole day of extra waiting. Now I feel Oof. bad about the thumbnail comment. Sorry. I feel <laughs> so bad. Yeah. I feel so bad for everybody back back on that has to wait an extra day. It is. It is. You have to stay away from your. I mean, look. You know, you guys need to take Thursdays off. Go for a walk. Take the kids out. Whatever. You know. <laughs> Yeah, we got we got a super chat from Mac M for ten dollars. Did Trip really die? It was a holodeck recreation. Who knows how accurate it really was? That is a great point, Mac. Head cannon. Yeah, you saw that in Voyager. Voyager so Matt, had lying history historical yeah. records. Matt, yeah. when you when you eventually write this series with Terry, and I'm just like, predicting it now. <laughs> uh, remember this super chat because you know that's a good point. I'm just absolutely. saying we can absolutely that is that is filed away in in the in the holodeck head cannon. <laughs> Yes, really wants to come back. Yeah, yeah, everyone wants him back. I, he actually sells a shirt that says "Trip didn't really die." I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I need that shirt. That's Oliver uh, Lavier Farag. Hey, Matt, absolutely loving Picard season three. The writing is fantastic. Great job from the whole team. Awesome. Thank you, Oliver. thank you. He Oliver. also says, "Voyager for the win." Yeah, me oh. and you both, brother. <laughs> Me and you both. Super chat from Sir Sir Laddie O of D. Oh, sorry, bud. Sir Larry of D. I don't know why I tried. Like, see, it's all one, oh, yeah. one word. Sir Larry of D. I cried when Titan left space dock. Mm. We were back. Me too. Beautiful thing. I did too. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah that was the first Ghost time. Rider. It made me cry for the first time I saw it. I was actually, I, I was like, I had to look away. Because really? I was like, I'm, I'm actually, this is this is way too soon to be having tears. <laughs> it felt really good when that, you know, the Neo constitution class, or whatever, when I saw that, I love, I love that so much care is putting, putting is put into this where we're back to the long drawn out shots of the ship. Yeah. Like, maybe some people might not like, but, but I love it. Well, cause it oh, sells the idea that they're capital ships. Yes. Right. You know, the, the, I think that's one of the things about modern star Trek, not just modern star Trek. Sometimes, they were guilty of this and 
TNG and Deep Space Nine. But look, even though space, I remember reading Vonda McIntyre's novel, The Entropy Effect, which was the first Star Trek novel pocket released after the motion picture. And there's scenes where Sulu, I, I, so long ago, I don't, was, was, was working a simulator that people could watch. And he was, he was making starships tumble end over end. You know, because you can with inertial right. dampeners and whatever. And I'm like, well, that would be that would be cool. And you get a little bit of that idea. I love that the, with the X, Y, and Z axis that the Titan is falling into the nebula. And there's a yes. lot of great shots when it, it's flying by and the it's, the power is flickering and all that. I mean, I know, but e- they didn't even do that in Star Trek Two. You know, but the idea that that these are capital ships pounding on each other, like grand sailing ships. I mean it. It's not like that, but you're conveying the idea that it is. I mean, technically, these ships are thousands of kilometers apart, you know, and they're firing at one another or whatever. (laughs) But but from a dramatic standpoint, you know, it would be no fun if you couldn't see a starship like the Intrepid rise up. Oh, God, that's you know The dragon shot. And I mean, normally, no, but it also sells like scenes like when he tosses the asteroid and stuff like that. Like it makes it oh, more yeah. believable. Another thing that Terry did too that is not, I mean, he's allowed, like there's a guy named Bill Krauss who is a modeler and who basically modeled the Intrepid and the Titan based on designs he'd been building for a long time. He's a fan. Yeah. He's an expert modeler. He would be, he would be putting his awesome, um, they were all non-canonical. They were Starship. Starships in the Star Trek universe that he designed and that he would always have them on display at Wonderfest and his work was available online. Terry tracked him down and That's said, awesome. uh, I mean, who would no, uh, I'm telling no one else would do that. And no, just like DM'd him on Insta. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and yeah, if you um, see he, he, that guy's incredibly talented and, and, and he designed these ships and the same, the same when he went back to Dan Curry. Who designed the Batleth for he, Dan Curry is one of the two visual effects supervisors on Next Generation, and Terry went back to Dan Curry and said, "Hey, you know, we've got the Mechleth or whatever. Can you make me a Klingon broadsword or whatever you asked him?" Mm-hmm. And that's where we have Worf's new sword. I mean, the guy who created the Batleth, and as soon created, as it's available, it'll be right there behind me. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, but that's another thing that speaks to him. And you know, everyone's talking about, "Oh, you're always filleting Terry." I'm like, well. If he deserves it, sure, why not? But um, uh, the thing is, he went and did these kinds of things, which I don't think a lot of showrunners on any legacy show would necessarily do. I mean, to go outside of the art department or whatever and get Bill Krauss to design stuff and also bring back the Akutas and Drexler and all these people. Yeah, that was a must. I mean, that, that all of that was was it speaks to and the funny thing about star trek is it has 57 years of legacy yeah and one of the things that we made us fans in the first place was the design lineage that you know the voyagers intermix chamber was the enterprise's intermix chamber from the motion picture Mm. so there was always this design lineage that was that that ran through the show and we have what 250 years of it 300 years of it now that you're into the 25th century and if you right. want to if you want to consider discovery which i don't canonical in the 31st century but you can i don't know where those designs came from but they're still there you yeah. can still look at that well they're all classified now that's that's what <laughs> right well no one knows what, yeah the, 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 no one knows what the 31st i mean yeah. and also the the funny thing is is you know there's design elements in star trek that are just cool 
like Star Destroyers and X-Wing fighters in Star Wars. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, you like those things. <laughs> TIE yeah, yeah. fighters, for whatever reason, might not be practical, but I want to see a ball. Absolutely. Or I want to see, you know, you want right. to, that's a TIE and fighter. And the size yeah. difference is also really, like, it makes it more epic. And, like, yeah. you know, even something like going back to the, the, the Birds of Prey from TOS, they just look. You can't put it into words. You're just like, I, I don't know, man. It looks awesome. <laughs> cool. Well, I mean, and the the people like Wa Chang going all the way. If you look at the the first time we saw a Romulan ship was in Balance of Terror. And then the first time we saw a Klingon battlecruiser, it wasn't until the third season. And it was right. Atlanta of Troyes. And mm-hmm. that was the first time they, and that was because, you know, AMT model kits wanted them to make those things. But those are two, the Klingon Bird of Prey or Warbird, whatever, from Balance of Terror is one of the coolest. Even the way it was shot, how they shot mm-hmm. the model from below so you I, can see the... Right. I mean, that was dope. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah you know, uh, to give some Strange New Worlds some um, credit, there was a shot in Strange New Worlds where you can actually see that same bird. The bird it was prey. so yeah. subtle yeah. and so quick that I missed it the first three times, so... Yeah, we got Super Chef and Ghost Rider. To all those involved in Picard Season 3, may your work bring glory to you and your house. Kapla! <laughs> well said. I'm glad you yelled that out. There's no other you way have, to do well, you, Yeah, you, you can't. To. You can't say Kapla like, right? Kapla. No, you have to scream <laughs> it. We got a Super Chat from El Presidente Mountain Dew Herbert Camacho! <laughs> Love Seven can also cook if you remember in Voyager. Why didn't you talk to Worf again? Dumar, rest in peace, Way Yon. That was Way Yon. Uh, Dumar. That was his name. <clears throat> um, we also have a super chat from uh I'm sorry, Michelle Michael. My 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 bad, Michael. Nemo. <laughs> the moment I realized Picard season three was going to be different was when Seven didn't kill Shaw in the first episode. <laughs> <laughs> the parallel of having Berman basically kill Giorgio is a resounding difference. I mean, that was that was well that earned. Was, Thank you. That was that was earned. Yeah, <laughs> you earned that. We had another super chat from Michael too. I would sit in the theater for ten hours to see this entire season on the big screen. Just saying. Yeah, same, same. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh man, imagine the fan event that would be. All of us sitting in the giant IMAX theater watching. Right? It'll be 10 hours. Some kegs of Romulan ale to uh, get everybody <laughs> yeah. fired up. By the end of that 10 hours, it would smell disgusting, but I would so be you, in it. I would do it. I'd still you do heard it. it right here, Paramount Studio Execs. We want something on the big screen for everybody to go watch. Whatever you got to do to make that happen, whether it's the rest of the, rest of the series we haven't seen yet oh, or God. you put the whole thing together, somebody please make that happen. Man, yeah, I'll yeah. organize something out here in Vegas for everyone. Yes, and, I, and oh, I will yeah. join you for that. Yes, so we'll Locke come out. We'll come says, out for that. Thank you, Rob, for convincing me to give Trek another chance. Thank you, Matt, for your contribution and bringing back the magic. Awesome. Dude, I went out on a limb, man. I would have my total YouTube channel would shut down and I'd have no more credit. There's some people that still think I have no credibility. No, no, we, we had the same, we had the same uh, exact conversation. I remember talking to Shane after we saw it and we're like, so. This is the best Trek I've seen uh, since, like, Voyager. Um, everyone's going to be mad at us when we, t- when we say those words. Like, literally every <laughs> single person that has ever subscribed to us or given us a super chat ever yeah. is going to be mad at us the second mm-hmm. we start praising this. And Shane's like, yeah, well, we've got to do what we got to do. <laughs> well, no, it was very interesting because, you know, I had to ask, first of all. I'm like, because at first I can't. You know, I wasn't going to say anything, but then I, uh, it was, it was kind of like, 
it was kind of like Terry was like, I saw Pacific Rim uh, about four months before it opened, and I'm a big kaiju fan, Japanese science fiction, robots, give it to oh, yeah. me. And I I love that movie so much. And I went with Derek, Derek Hughes, and we went, and Guillermo was actually at the theater. So cool. And he was talking, and I was like, dude, can we tell people about this? He goes, in Guillermo's way, he goes, tell your friends, tell everybody. Because you know, I loved it. I loved it so much. And Terry was kind of like that. He goes, no, no, go ahead and tell everyone. You got me on board back in November. I was watching one of your live streams. And when I heard you, because I heard you speak about other Star Trek shows in a less flattering light. Oh, yeah. And then I heard you start talking about Picard. I was like, (laughs) I I was happy to let Star Trek drift out of my life forever. Unlike you, I wasn't willing to just watch Star Trek I didn't like just so I could criticize it accurately. I just let it drift away. I was like, I guess I got to start brushing up on my uh, my Star Trek. And so I slowly started easing back into the shallow end of the pool. And then by the time um, the show came around, I was Oh, and well, I had gone so hard against seasons one and two. I mean, to the point of people were so sick of me hearing, you know, it's like, don't you have anything better to do with your time, Rob? But you did it with specificity. Most people just have like yeah. a, a catch-all term. You actually criticize details, which is well, really it doesn't. It, I I don't think saying that something sucks is ever conducive to anything at all. You know, you have to explain why. Why do you dislike? And I think a lot of people don't know why they dislike things. Right. So they can't articulate it. So saying they it just can. sucks. And they can't verbalize it. And by the way, those people probably shouldn't be critics on YouTube. Well, yeah. You have to be able to verbalize your problems with something. And don't just be like, it sucks. Yeah. But the thing about Star Trek Picard season three is it's like any great story. It's about the characters and the story that they're in the midst of. And for a, a Star Trek story, it's always about the humanity of our characters when you're out there on the edge of the final frontier what we have to bring with us is our humanity and when you saw when i saw episodes like when Riker talks about uh like in 17 seconds you know there's the the conversation about it was the longest 17 seconds of my life and little things that i don't think people necessarily think about but when Riker says you know i've traveled from one side of the galaxy to the other but I've seen nothing that tells me that there's an afterlife. Right. right. And I'm like, yeah. I, this is profound because Star Trek doesn't, doesn't necessarily directly address religion, but the idea that there's something more in the cosmic infinitude, I think is a really wonderful idea. And to find out that that's basically why he, he ran away from Deanna and his daughter was because he was bringing that kind of darkness. And then yes. at the end of, episode four when he's he's i thought it was so great again editorial you think he's recording that message because they keep they cut to the message pause yeah, and you're staying on him you're staying on him and you yeah. think he's recording a message and when it pulls out and you see marina certis you see deanna mm-hmm. again i'm thinking about it right now I, I i get a lump in my throat because that again is the kind of emotional storytelling when he refers back we've witnessed a kind of birth here yes you know and and that is the kind of thing that I had been missing from Star Trek, real character-based emotional content that I believed. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I watched this whole season two with Picard's mom and hanging or something. What it, I understand that's what Patrick Stewart wanted to do. And I get it. You entice an actor to come back to a role by allowing them to contribute. And they want to make it about their own lives. That makes sense because that's what they understand. You know, but but that isn't Star Trek to me. And in the twenty third or twenty fourth or twenty fifth centuries, we've we've seen in the first season of TOS they have mental institutions to help people. 
they might not have great people that work in those mental institutions, but you know, they, cause again, that was a reflection on what was going on in our hospitals and mental care in the sixties at the time, mm-hmm. as we saw like one flew of the cuckoo's nest. But the reason that I was so enamored of this season of Star Trek is all, um, look, the plot's great. The techno thriller plot's great, but it's these characters and their interaction. That's what sold me. And and that's yeah. the biggest thing. I mean, I liked all the starship porn and all the canonical craziness and everything. That's all great. But you know what? It was seeing our characters. They felt real that these are characters that had aged 30 years. And the way they were talking to each other, they had lived life. They had learned a lot more. You know, to learn more about yourself isn't necessarily what you're learning, you know, when you're fighting the the, the take your pick. If you're on Captain Dathon and in an episode learning how to speak metaphorically or whatever, <laughs> you know, you're, you're learning. But, and I think that's what you guys, what the writing staff has done so marvelously well. And if you see all the things that are interwoven in the show, fathers, what do fathers give to sons or what do parents give to, what is their legacy? What is it you leave behind for people? Mm, yeah. Whether it's inadvertent or not. And, and uh, as we, as we move along, you're going to find out, you know, maybe there's things that we give to our, our kids or lessons we teach that aren't necessarily what we wished we had done, you know, or you see Ro Laren and Picard 30 years of animosity is unfortunately mm-hmm. in the midst of a, a situation, but you still get to have that closure. This is stuff that I thought was gone from Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That was oh, the yeah. greatest lesson that I took away as a writer from Terry. And I, I've told him, we went out to breakfast and I told him this, I said, the thing that I'm always thinking about now, always, is how do I feel? Yeah. How do I feel? Because the thing that I'll remember, yeah, the cool ships, which no one fought harder for those shots than Terry because he wanted to bring back you know, the old-fashioned submarine space battles um, and was meticulous about putting those on screen. But he's right. The thing, you know, the, the, the patter between the crew, that's important, you know, um, the mystery, the way it's unfolding, the clue trails, that's important. But in 15 years, the thing you're going to remember is the wordless exchange between Beverly and Picard. Yeah. She finally affirms what he's been dreading the entire episode. You know, that moment's going to stay with me forever. And, and that's the thing I think that makes me come back is, you know, that makes me come back again and again is, is feeling something. And when you're writing, you can put all the explanation and expos in the world, but if I feel nothing, I haven't done my job. And right. Well said, Matt. Yeah. Let me just point out here, and this is you know, we're not we're not going around here to beat up old Star Trek or the new Trek other shows, but I think the big difference that you hit on here is: are the characters having emotional moments, or are the or the fans having emotional moments? Right. You know, and and if you're building a show for. Uh, for the fan base to say, oh my God, I'm having this this moment, then I think you're winning. And that's what you guys accomplished there. Matt, you, you had a question for Matt, right? Yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask, um, we know that the people involved with Star Trek are kind of aware of the criticisms out there. Like I'm sure they go on YouTube and see what people are saying about their episodes. And I'm sure this goes for every, you know, like Discovery uh, Picard, all that stuff. But I was wondering, like, do you know how much of the criticism that the like Paramount executives are aware of? Are they like hearing, oh, like uh, Kurtzman isn't very popular amongst the Star Trek fans and stuff like that, or, or are they just kind of oblivious to it, or do they just write it off? 
Um, you know, I can't say one way or the other, to be honest. I'm not sure. Um, I haven't had any conversations with any of the execs because, um, you know, part of a showrunner's job is to make sure that, that they insulate their writing staff from um, questions about, you know, um, other, other than getting notes on your episode to insulate you about contract talks and criticisms and stuff. Focus on the work. Focus on telling a story, and let me handle that. So I'm I'm actually not sure, to be honest. Um, you know, I, again, I, the only thing I can say that I know for certainty, because I know the way that, that the money works, is that if you have a vote, it's with your views, it's with the things you watch over and over and over. And so if you love something, watch it over and over and over. You know, that really does help, especially in the first week and the first month. That goes so far. Um, and if you don't like something, you know, that's a vote too. Um, and everyone is entitled to their vote. Um, well said. It sounds like yeah. there's no difference on there in between hate watching versus love watching. But I guess uh, people who <laughs> love watch something watch it five or six times. As exactly. To yeah. Done. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. A good way to put that is we don't have control of the politics. So we, we don't have any controls to what happens, but we can control what we like and make ourselves uh, heard. And so I think that's really well put. Thank you. There's a super chat from Good T Nice House. I said this on Rob's podcast the other night. No Trek actor has ever won an Emmy for Trek, the writing and acting in Picard season three. It's top notch and Emmy worthy. That's not exactly true. I think I think Leonard Nimoy ran, got at least was nominated, right? For an Emmy, if I remember correctly. That, you know, it's funny. I, I, I don't remember. I would. He might have been. He might have been. But, you know, again... Genre science fiction, fantasy, and horror up till fairly recently was not, it never really taken seriously as one of the, uh, you know, with Lord of the Rings. I mean, it took how many decades before an epic fantasy film? I mean, Star Wars was beat out at the Academy Awards by Annie Hall, Woody Allen's Annie Hall. And so, you know, I think that science fiction has not, nowadays, of course, we have Game of Thrones that has won tons of Emmys. And, and, and there's not, and I think it's because the audience changed. Yeah, you know the the audience. Uh, you worked on the Shannara series. I mean, I remember growing up and when I was in the when I remember when that book came out, I got the sort of Shannara from my book club, sci the sci fi book club. You know, nice. and 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 I'd read the Lord of the Rings, but that was like this. There was Lord Fowl. There was the Chronicles of Thomas Covenant, the Unbeliever, and then there there was the Shannara books, and that was the and that was it. You know, and the idea that you would make, I mean. Dra hey, Dragon Slayer came out in 4K today. That was 81. I mean, oh, that wow. was nice. back in the day. It's like, did anybody, it didn't, people didn't dig fantasy. And now the world has even changed. Even the star of Dragon Slayer would uh, say horrible things about Dragon Slayer. So yeah, yes. even people who were involved <laughs> frowned upon it. Came out as a 4K, beautiful 4K. It should probably be sitting on my doorstep. But um, the- Leonard, um, Just heads up, Leonard Nimoy had three nominations as Spock for outstanding continued performance by an actor in a supporting role, but no actual wins. And not yeah. for a lead role. No nope, right. supporting. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Well, okay, there you go. That's good to know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, and that that's changed. So maybe, but then again, even now, even now, certain subject matter is considered more prestigious than yes. other subject mm -hmm. matter. And it's, it's, it's like, you know, when, every time somebody else wins, it's, it's, I mean, people, people said that everything everywhere all at once was too lightweight to win what? the Oscar. Yeah. I mean, the, the the subject matter, you can't have multiverses and all this, you know, be winning the Oscar when it should have been Banshees of Inishirin, you know, and, and it's, we, we still have to deal with that. 
Yeah, um, and it matters what platform you come out on. Like something on HBO, or even now Apple Plus, um, because something something like um, what is it, uh, Severance, um, yeah. which I loved, will get more weight than something that say comes out on Peacock. You know, yes, and that's I mean that's so weird and prejudicial that it doesn't really make much sense. But I yeah. get it. Oh, yeah, I totally brand, get it. Brands matter absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think Apple Plus shows. They've done some great. There's some great stuff uh, on Apple Plus. You know, like, they only if you make watch sh- a movie from the late '60s and you see the Paramount logo. You're like, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Show. Yeah, right. It's gonna be edgy, cool. And there's stuff. Got stuff on Peacock too. American Auto is. I'm enjoying that. <laughs> I'm enjoying that so much right now. It's insane. I like Poker Face. Poker but Face is poker great. Face is great too. Yeah, great, great show. Like, yeah. She's she's terrific. She's so she's, good. Oh but God. again, that's like Ryan Johnson. You know the. Yeah. Here's $450 million. Go make two more Knives Out movies. Okay. Right. <laughs> as long as he stays away from Star Wars, I'm good with that. You got Super Chat from the son of John. Mm-hmm. Yikes. I figured out that Jack is Damon Omen. <laughs> you mean like Satan's uh, son? How yeah, cool, Damien, how cool Damien, Damien Thorne. Damien Thorne. <laughs> how cool was that moment, Matt, when you guys realized that he's going to become Jason Bourne in space? Start taking out changelings. Like, uh, that was pretty cool. We can't wait oh, to see yeah. what that turns out to be. Is that that's shout out to our stunt our stunt guys, man? They put the I mean, when I saw that, I was like, "Holy shit, that, that looks was good!" So bad, yeah, yeah, and so is this. So is the choreography when Worf is fighting Rafi, and then Worf just like has one hand up and he's parrying her blows. That was like some. And he's tr- bored. Yeah, it was aw- That was awesome. So good. It and was we thought, so good. You know, we thought that was going to be a quick like uh, twenty second fight, and the stunt guys were like, "Well, we did this," and we went, "Oh my god." <laughs> Good for you. But even even awesome. better was when Shaw says, nice shooting, kid, when he hears about what Jack did. So it's like, yeah. yeah. It's, nice shooting, kid. You're building up on what came before, but anyway, priceless moment. Uh, oh, yeah. So good. Well, let's so good. let's go around the horn here real last time since and try to wrap this up. Uh, Kadish, do you have anything else you want to say? Uh, no, I wanted to thank Matt for coming on and being very candid and honest. And it's always great to have people from the show on here, especially because, uh, you know, they're just straight shooters with us. So thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you. James. Thank you very much for, for by the way, this for staying up the episode night. eight. Yeah. Matt's been fascinating hearing you talk about the inner workings of the show. I mean, as fans, we oftentimes have a very kind of nebulous or mysterious understanding of the inner workings of a show. It's just great to hear some tales from the trenches about how the sausage gets made. So thanks so much for coming on and talking with us. Thank you, James. And thanks, thanks for spreading the word. Big Bob Tell Burnett. Me. You know, uh, Matt, I would just ask you, you have another, people forget that, like, you guys did your work on this show a year ago, and you have a new show coming out that I noticed it's listed on IMDb. Can you talk about that at all? Oh, sure. Oh, thank you for asking. So kind of you. Um, yeah, it's called Interior Chinatown. It's based on um, the National Book Award of the Year, I think it was last year, written by uh, Charles Yu, and um, the pilot was directed by Taika Waititi, wow. uh, who did an incredible job, and it's trippy, man. It stars Jimmy O. Yang, um, Chloe Bennett, and Ronnie Chang. Um, God, I, I love Ronnie Chang. Oh my so God. good. He's. I think they're really going to surprise people with their range and their depth, and of course their humor. Um, and it, <laughs> it is one of the the sort of most meta swing for the fences concepts I, I've ever been a part of. Um, and I hope people can kind of dig it and enjoy it and, and, and really um, laugh, when we, but also. When are that, we going to see it, and what? where is it on? It's on Hulu. 
Um, and probably not till next year is my guess. We don't okay. have an air date yet because they're literally shooting as we speak. Right. Sure. <laughs> um, they're shooting episode five and I just finished my time on set um, producing my episode a couple of weeks ago, which was a thrill. Um, so, yeah. And Charlie's just he's, he's really another one of those really great, kind human beings. Awesome. Yeah. Brian. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for coming, Matt. Um, and I actually have a question too uh, about not about Star Trek. Actually, uh, any uh, any any news on leverage? Uh, can can we um, somehow pull some of the 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 actors that uh, that I guess aged out of it or whatever could come back for the show? Uh, I I would say never say never. Um, I wasn't involved in season two because I was on on this, um, but I know there are conversations happening about um, a season three. So stay tuned. Really? I don't know anything official. I know that that conversations are being had. So if you like it, go and watch it. Yeah, yeah. Leverage is one of my favorite uh, legacy shows, and uh, Redemptions is not as good as the original. But that's also because it doesn't have Timothy Hutton. Yeah. And and um, the guy that was on Black Adam recently, like it needs the whole crew. You get the whole crew back together, easy win. I think that it's still good, but we need the whole crew back. I mean, Hardison, I, we, we begged yes. and pleaded. He's so expensive now because <laughs> he's, he's a so big movie expensive. star. I saw, I saw he he's came back for star. like a video conference or whatever. Like yeah. I can tell that was like, well, you know, that was, that, that was like the cheapest option. In order to get <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. Awesome. But yeah, he's awesome. So, and I, yeah. by the way, I'd like to thank all of you for being so kind and just, you know, continuing to support the season, getting the word out, being so thoughtful with your comments and your questions, um, and it, and it really it does mean the world to all of us because it, it was a very hard show to make, and we follow all of you on Twitter, and Instagram, and we watch your shows, and uh, trust me when I say that it means the world to to every single one of us, and Terry included. Thank you so much, Matt. And if you want to follow Matt on Twitter, he is uh, Matt Akumura. And it's Matto goofing off. <laughs> the link is in the description. It's all I do on Twitter. <laughs> also, we got uh, Matt Kadish here with the Salty Nerd Podcast. You guys can check them out. They have great shows uh, all week long. And then Geeking with James Hancock, of course. Uh, always great content. Fantastic. And the Burnett work. Don't forget Robert Meyer Burnett with all of the great high IQ takes. We appreciate you guys. So much I love that. Time. That's a, that's a high IQ take. Right? Mental libations. <laughs> that's right. I just um, want your, your room, man. I just I don't want to live there. That's oh great. well, you, you should see the physical media collection over here, and oh, man. Uh, uh, it's. But I don't have. I have a lot of. I used to have a lot more stuff, but I. It's just a collection of odds and ends. You know, so it's all cool. different kinds of things now. But I, I'm awesome. trying. I'm trying to pare it all down. Well, we're gonna get a Titan for you soon. I need a Titan. Oh. I, I want a one three hundred. Don't forget about me, Matt. Yeah, I Brian want needs a pillow. Hey, yeah. me too. Me too. I swear to God, if I see Rob with a Titan and I and I don't and there was no word to me, I'm gonna be so pissed. Well, you know, Terry has videos. a Titan. It's pretty damn cool. It's pretty sweet, right? It's Ooh, really what sweet. Doing? What are you doing? And I believe he's got a Shrike now too. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Oh God, I love you. Yeah, guys. but you know, Terry also owns a real DeLorean time machine. Yeah, yeah. That's so he has, he has an actual DeLorean, like uh, like like the time machine. Not, he has not a two, two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's that's what you get when you become a showrunner. That's you got to get that TV money. Yeah, can I tell you guys something? Uh, real quick aside, I if I owned a DeLorean, 
I would have pulled up to this Picard season three premiere in that DeLorean. I don't care how slow it took me. I would have pulled up with that thing with full lights and everything with some dry ice coming out of it. I would have pulled up. I would have gotten out of that car like the biggest nerd bother on the planet. To walk this is why that we premiere. need the spinoff. We, yeah, we gotta do, there you, you go. know, that's the thing is, oh, Terry God. is that guy. He just wants to put on airs of you know being an important showrunner in Hollywood. I'm important. He, he's a nerd. <laughs> yeah, he he's a nerd. Just like so the when, when we get when oh, we get yeah. season four, Terry's gonna pull up in that DeLorean with the dry eyes coming off of it. Yeah, <laughs> Mr. Well, Fusion you. on the top. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for coming on the show, and of course, make sure you guys continue to support Picard season three if you're enjoying it. Make sure you sign the petition. We'll have that in the link below. All everybody's channels. Please go subscribe to everybody's channels here and check out Matt on Twitter. And uh, we appreciate you so much for tuning in with us today. Uh, make sure you come back Thursday. We'll be back for the podcast Unleashed at 1230, where we'll be talking, breaking down episode six of Picard, scene by scene, frame by frame. We look forward to seeing you guys then. We love you. We appreciate you. We'll see you guys next time. Adios.